everybody. Let me get started over here on TikTok. Hey, everybody. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of lovely Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you think you have a paranormal problem, we can get to you. It might take us a while. California is a big state, but we will get to you. In any event that we can't get to you right away, what we do is we have five mediums on staff who can call you and talk to you about what might, what might be happening in your home or office and calm things down until we can get to you. Anyhow, again, my name is Charlotte. I own the, I own the California Haunts team, and I want to welcome everybody. Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, welcome, welcome, welcome. Twitter, welcome, everybody. I'm real excited to be here. Uh, this is Sunday, and every Sunday I read from a paranormal theme book. Some of them are based on true stories. Some are fantasies. But the one we have this weekend, um, Rain No Evil, we're in Chapter 20, is, is based on a true story by, by, uh, by Michelle Zirkle. And Michelle Zirkle, um, you know, has given us permission. She's the publisher and writer for the book. And so she's given us permission to read the book. But I'm going to give you guys fair warning. There's sections in this book that I have to kind of skim over because she goes into, in, into a lot of detail and it, it, ends up being like, it ends up being like a Jackie Collins novel, right? Okay. We can't do that kind of thing on TikTok. Where, you know, so it's a family thing, right? Also, um, her, the, her husband in the book is a police officer. And so there's cases in there that she discusses, you know, from, from her stuff, from her past, that we can't really talk about either. So you'll hear me kind of skim over that where I'll say, and he had a case, all right? You know, I don't mind, like, robbery things. I'm good with that. But anything beyond that, it just I, I don't want to get, I don't want to go there, okay? Because I, I did get banned a couple weeks ago on TikTok, and I believe that's why, because I went into detail about a particular case he was doing. If you saw the note on TikTok over there, um, I'm looking for likes. I'm not looking for donations. I'm not, well, I'm not looking for gifts. Don gifts over there, donations over here. I'm not looking for gifts from you guys on TikTok. I'm looking for likes. I want to build up my likes because I'm just getting this thing rolling now. You know, where we're consistently coming on every week. And I just want to get my likes built up. So if you could give me, you know, double tap that screen. All right. And then just give me as many likes as possible. I think we topped off at 1,500 last week. So I would love to get more likes, you know, and just keep building that up to put me out in the algorithms of TikTok. All right. That, that's what I'm looking for. You know, and I do have a gift thing up at the top, a gift goal. And that's because, you know, I'm a retired journalist. So um, everything I do is out of my pocket. I don't make any retirement yet. I'm not old enough uh, to make that retirement yet. So uh, everything's pretty much out of my pocket when something breaks or phone or whatever, you know. So if you, you know, if, if you feel like you, you, you want to, you know, help me with those raccoons that's great if you don't that's great too but all i ask is that if you like what you hear today please double tap on on the screen you know and uh send me those likes because i do want to build my build, build my like amount up same thing goes over here for facebook and youtube you know if, if, if you if you're listening and you like what you hear uh hit me some thumbs up buttons some smileys you know uh uh you know love, some hearts because what happens is by doing that it puts me further in, in the algorithm system, which means that, um, you know, other, pe other people can see me because I'm an expanded network for Facebook. Same thing with YouTube. Uh, you know, the happy faces, the thumbs up and all that. It, it helps put me further out in the algorithm to where more people come in, you know, will come in later on and, and view the show. All right. So if you could do that, I'd really appreciate it. Also, um, if you haven't done so already on Facebook, uh, please follow if you like what you hear today. Because we not only do these types of shows, I not only read from a book, I also um, 
I also have guests on Monday through Friday, and they're all paranormal themed guests, or they're even news items that I have on. We just did a a uh, show on Wednesday on on the pain epidemic, the pain pill epidemic. We just did a show on that. So I like to vary the topics. Uh, because I'm a journalist, and I'm also a photojournalist, so I do like to vary topics, and all my stuff's researched, right? So we do have that going on during the week, and for you guys over here on TikTok, that goes on our YouTube page, and that's youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio, if you're interested in checking those out, because, you know, we, we have a lot over there. But Sundays are primarily for reading, and it's like, you know, right now it is approximately 6.33 on the West Coast, because I, like I said, I'm in California, and for some of you over on the East Coast, it's, it's what, 9.33, so you're kind of winding down for the day, you know, that kind of thing, so this is your chance to kind of sit on the couch, dim the lights, and listen to a ghost story, okay, kind of, I'm going to read for about an hour, California, you might be sitting down to dinner, sit, sit, you know, sit down and listen to me chat, you know, yak at you, read a book, you know, so, it's, it's kind of beneficial all the way around for everybody. Um, so, uh, and, and I'm also looking for people. I'm not looking for subscribers yet. Like I said, on TikTok, I'm just getting started. Not looking for subscribers, but I am looking for followers. So if you like what you see, please hit that follow button. I will follow you back. I promise. Okay. In the meantime, please, if, please, if you like what you hear with this book and, and you enjoy this book, please double tap the screen. Thank you for whoever just set the heart. I love it. Thank you. Please double tap that screen. Uh, like I said, you know, the, the, the more hearts I get, the, the further we go out the algorithms on TikTok. So I would really appreciate it. Same thing with Facebook and YouTube. All right. Let me get in here. Uh, I'm reading it on screen off my laptop here. A chapter 20 in Rain No Evil. And a quick synopsis is uh, the, the, the character in here, uh, Savvy, is married a police officer. And they've been having paranormal things happening at their house. Uh, there's water that's flowing up down from the attic and stuff that, that, that they don't know where it's coming from. And uh, they'll go flush the toilet and the water shoots up like a bidet, right? Um, so that's what's been going on. And so she has called a priest out. And the priest, excuse me for a second. The priest has already um, come out once to exercise the house. But he's going to have to come out again. Because uh, what, she, what she neglected to tell the priest was that she was sitting in front of her bedroom mirror one morning. And she saw what looked like a demon right in front of her face, like, like she materialized in this demon. But she hasn't told anybody this yet. So, yeah. Okay. So, again, uh, TikTok, if you could double tap that screen, give me as many likes as possible, I would really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. And like I said, um, there's parts of this book, for you guys over there, too, there's parts of this book that are just a bit saucy, even for my taste. So I'm not going to mention them. I'll just say she got together with somebody. Okay, she met somebody got together, just like about her husband. Okay, because her, because he that the, she does go into detail about the police cases. So I'm going to read for about an hour today, and if you guys like it, great. You know, let me know. I mean, tap double tap that screen, TikTok, and you guys thumbs up and all that good stuff for me. All right. So rain no evil, and here we go, chapter twenty. Let me get the flow going. When I got home about eight, Alex is conformed to the couch with one hand on the remote and the other holding his privates. Oh, we don't want to go there. All right. So, all right, we're going to go that. All right. All right. Okay, okay. Tonight, it strikes me that maybe I should... Okay. All right, we're not going to go there. Oh, and farts. Farts and familiarity can ruin the best of marriages. I imagine... Okay, I imagine Aunt Claire's face. Should she be the lucky lady who had strolled in on the spectacle? The contrived image makes me laugh. What's so funny, Alex says. 
Oh, just remembered something you said, I say, plopping on the sofa beside my main squeeze. You off tomorrow, or do you have to work? Huh, Alex says. You have to work tomorrow? Alex flips the, sh flips the channel. I've told you 15 times I have an overtime checkpoint tomorrow evening. Sorry, there's been a lot to keep up with lately. I peck him on the cheek. Good night, I'm beat. Alex says he will be up shortly, so I, I play my timer game, face washed and lights out before he makes it off the couch. I'm not as slow as he thinks I am. I'm asleep for what seems like a minute when I hear Isaac yelling, Mom, I'm in his room like I've been teleported there. Isaac's sitting up in bed, covers pulled up to his chin and pointing in the corner of his room behind his door. A black heartbeat, he says. I look where he's pointing like I'm actually going to see the heartbeat. Water is running down the wall. I threw holy water on it, like the priest said, Isaac says, his eyes darting from the wall and back to me. Then it turned into a circle, and a cross was in the middle. I sit on the bed and hug him. You know what, what else to do. I rub his back. I'm sorry, I don't know what else to do. I rub his back and say, you saw a heart? Like a Valentine's heart? No, heartbeat, Isaac says, twisting out of my embrace and making an exaggerated V-shape with his index finger. I hand him a tablet and a pencil from his desk. Draw it. Let me make sure something really quick. I just had a horrible thought that I forgot to start StreamYard. Nope. Okay, we're good. All right. He sketches zigzagged lines and says, like Grandma Lenny had at the hospital. Oh, like on the monitor Grandma was hooked up to, I say, curling closer to him. I didn't think he would remember seeing her before she died. He was barely six. Yeah, just like that. You know what else, he says? There's more? I shake my head. When I made the sign of the cross like the priest did, white, like white feathers fell out of my fingers, then disappeared. A black heartbeat had turned into a circle with a cross in the middle, and something white fell from my son's fingers and disappeared. And I can't explain any of it to him. I wanted to know if God was real, but I sure didn't expect the answer to be an open invitation for an invisible water-slinging demon to camp out at my house with his entire posse. God has to be testing me to see if I have enough faith to make it through this trial, and I'm going to prove it to him that I do. I'll sink with the ship before I cry mayday. Now, I do have permission from the author and the publisher to read this book, so there's no copyright infringement or anything. Please double tap that screen, TikTok. Please double tap that screen. See what I can do for likes, okay? Please double tap that screen. Help, help me out with likes. All right. Isaac. You know how different people are good at different things? Like Tommy's really good at baseball and Tanner can't even hit a slow pitch? But if they're wrestling, Tanner pins Tommy to the, to the, mat, to the mat one round? Isaac nods. God gave people different spiritual gifts, too. Ben has a gift of prophecy. He knew there was a nail in the tire, even though we couldn't see it. You have the gift of discernment. That means that you can tell the difference between bad spirits and good ones, and that you see things other people can't. Do you have a gift, Mom? Isaac asks. I... I rough his curly hair. You and Ben are my gifts. Isaac hunkers underneath the blanket, giggling. And I sprawl across him, tickling his sides through the quilt until he pops it for air. Sometimes, I say, I see visions in my sleep that show me things that are going to happen. That's cool. Hey, see that cord? He says, pointing to the cord hanging from the vent in the ceiling. I forgot to tell you. Before you came in, it got longer. Isaac indicates a link that is practically to the floor. It would be impossible for the string to stretch that far, at least in this dimension. I tried to grab it, and it got shorter, he says. A laugh escapes me, and a puzzled look on Isaac's face reminds me that humor, 
although the best medicine sometimes should be administered in private. Maybe 10 years from now, we can all laugh about this. Sorry, honey, I know you're serious. I snuggle up beside him until he's asleep, knowing that as soon as I slip out of his room, he'll still slip into Ben's room. Tucked into my own bed while Alex is still on the couch, probably watching TV, I write my diary. My uninvited guest soaks my journal. I dry, I dry the page with the quilt and continue. Thursday afternoon, when Dr. Nick, when Father Nick pulls in on a wave of holy water and prayer, Alex is on the couch with his hand waving at the TV. Alex, we have company, I say, watching through the front room as Father shuts the door and a, to the blue Volkswagen that I've seen him drive. Alex puts his hand out to shake Father's hand. What? Oh, he says, heading upstairs. I smile as I head to the door, tickled to see him caught off guard. I ask Father if his car is broken down. He explains that he has an endless fleet of vehicles that are donated to the church from deceased parishioners and from wealthy living ones. He hasn't bought a car since being ordained. Alex lumbers into the kitchen, his eyes trailing up Father's pant leg until they meet the white collar of his neck. Hello, uh, hi, Alex says. Savvy didn't tell me you were coming. I look at the floor. Couldn't he have a little social grace just once? Father Nick extends his hands, and Alex gra grasps it with, with his hand. I promise Savannah will get this taken care of, Father says, looking my way. Want to start upstairs? I nod while Alex pours milk onto a bowl of Lucky Charms and sits at the table. He doesn't volunteer to participate in the ritual, and that's fine by me. If this works, I'll be wearing my own Lucky Charm in the shape of a Celtic cross. Upstairs, I knock on Ben's door and have him join Father and me in Isaac's room, where I prompt Isaac to tell Father about the heartbeat and cross that he saw on his wall last night. Rubbing his smooth head, Father says, Sounds like we're starting in the right room. Let's begin. He slips around communion wafer from his shirt pocket and says, This looks like bread and tastes like bread, but when placed in the mouth of a Christian believer, it, it becomes the actual body of Christ. We won't be consuming it today. I brought it because nothing evil can stay in the presence of the body of Christ. I'm wondering why we need even to say a prayer. If evil can't remain where this magic wafer is, then shouldn't the demon be gone already? But I don't ask. I just grab the paper that Father's passing me that says Prayer of Exorcism at the top. I scan it for the R, like we responded during the blessing, but there is none. This Catholic prayer thing is confusing. I see the word all, so I guess the boys and I are all. Ben steps beside me and peers at the prayer I'm holding. Father Nick slides on his specs and begins the ritual by squirting a dab of holy water on each of us and invoking the Trinity. I trace the outline of a cross, hoping I touch the correct shoulder first. Father raises a metal crucifix above his head, saying, Behold, the cross of the Lord. Be scattered, ye hostile powers, and return not to this household. Unfortunately, because it's on the phone over there, my cell phone, I cannot read um, the screen. Okay, so sorry about that. I wish I could. All right, keep, if, uh, keep tap that screen, TikTok, please tap that screen. Help, help me with my likes. After several variations of Lord have mercy, Father prays for Archangel Michael to defend us in battle. The boys and I throw in our as prompted by the all on our prayers. 
Father Nick prays. Praise. Father Nick, our Father, we come to you trusting in your Son's promise that whatever we ask of thee in his name you will do. We approach thy throne unworthy, but trusting in th thy mercy. We request that you drive away any and all evil spirits who may infest this home. We ask that you send thy holy angels to watch over this house and all who reside here. We ask you to cover these rooms and this property with the blood of thy Son, that you destroy all demonic strongholds and ground claimed in this place by Satan and his minions. We reclaim the ground taken by, by the evil one and dedicate it to you, Lord, and to your glory. We ask these things, Father, in the name of thy Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. From my position at the foot of Isaac's bed, I see water form in midair in the hallway and spray onto the ceiling with a splat in the exact location it first dropped on Ben's head. My gaze darts to Father, who's staring into the hall and rubbing his eyebrows that are as high as the arch of St. Louis. It's kind of like it said, goodbye. It's kind of like it said goodbye, Isaac says. Father, I say, it left in the same exact spot where the water first dripped. Is that a portal? Father tucks the consecrated coast back into the tiny silver case and says, yes. There are doors here to worlds we cannot see. That must be one. I'm impressed with Father's ability to accept that he doesn't know everything. So, what time is your Sunday service? I ask as we descend the stairs. If this exorcism worked, I'll be there with so many bells on that they won't even have to ring theirs. Mass at 9.30. You ever been to Mass? Father says, his hand bracing the rail as he maneuvers with his bum knee. Only with Grandma and Grandpa sometimes on Christmas Eve. They weren't Catholic, though, and I didn't have a clue as to what was going on. But Grandma said it was holy and beautiful. We walk through the living room where Alex stretches up from the couch and shakes Father's hand. Sorry you had to make another trip here. Savvy's just, well, this water leak has gotten to her. Father caresses Jesus' leg on the crucifix he's holding. There's no earthly leak that sprays like that without a pipe being busted. Savannah is one sharp cookie. Better hold on to her. Alex, Alex's cheeks turn crimson, and he stammers. Oh, glad you don't mind the inconvenience. Not at all. And I'd love to see you both at Mass on Sunday, Father says, looking at me. It can be confusing at first, but in short, you can kneel when we kneel, if you'd like. You may dip your fingers in the holy water, by the front door, but only Catholics may, may partake. Only Catholics may partake in communion. I walk through the kitchen with Father and extend a check toward, check toward him for one hundred dollars. Oh no, Father says, shaking his head. It's it's made out to the church. I say, holding the check in the air until Father accepts it. I may see you Sunday. I can't imagine Alex going with me. He'll probably razz me about it if I go. But I'm going to start doing things that I want to do. I don't need Alex's approval in order to be happy. Father is barely out the door when Alex nails me. How the entire when Alex nails me. How the entire community thinks I'm nuts, and how I shouldn't have bothered the nice priest again, who is just humoring me. I pretend to listen, but I'm thinking that nothing he says is going to deter me from from going to the Catholic Church, where I just may embark on the first step on a journey to recover a version of myself that I actually like. A priest just made our water leak disappear through the ceiling, and Alex hasn't even asked what Father did upstairs. I wonder if Alex will ever understand the significance of the last few weeks. I don't understand everything that's happened either, but I get the profound sense that this entire experience is going to be radically cha cha changed in my life.
As Alex straps on his uniform for his overtime detail, I feign a a headache that I've almost talked myself into having and climb the golden staircase to solitude to write and pray myself into a space where I feel good about myself. A space without Alex where just my breathing is enough to make, make me purr. Later in the evening, I'm on the commode in half bath when I hear a car pull in. I flush the commode that is now cooperating, even with Ben, and peek out from the window where an empty, beat-up white escort sits. I don't recognize it. Someone's knocking at the side door, and all I can see are jeans and tennis shoes. Walking through the kitchen, I glance at the steaming potatoes I was preparing to mash. For my promise to the boys, and I open the door to a man with long, greasy, dark hair who's sucking on a cigarette. He removes the cigarette, holding it to his side with the dirt with dirt-laced fingertips and coughs out. It's a taser round. I'm not about to tell this guy that Alex is at home. I keep my hand on the knob of the partially open storm door and smile for pretense as much as for the sheer pleasure of meeting this character, who, no doubt, I will soon be writing into my story. Taze can't come to the door right now. What's your name? And I'll tell him you stop by. Guess he's looking for me, the man says. He swipes at the bangs that are stuck to his head and peeks up at me. I try to exhale the disdain from my face. He, uh, well, he was banging on my door a little bit ago, and I didn't hear him. He stammers, managing to cough on a few hunks of smoke. Keeping my foot propped on the door, I slip a tablet and pencil from the kitchen drawer. What's your name and number? Parker. And my phone's not working, but he can call my neighbor. He rattles on while I write. Yeah, he came by, and I was sleeping. My neighbor told me just a little bit ago that he heard the banging and saw the police and saw the policeman Templeton standing there. When's dinner, Ben asked, coming up from the basement. And when's dad going to be? I'm shaking my head and giving Ben my bug-eyed stare so he retreats back into the playroom. This Parker dude opens his mouth for round three, but I say, okay, I'll tell him, and shut the door. I smile through the glass door while this crud is still talking. Yep. I didn't want old Taze to think I was ignoring him. No siree. I lock the thick wooden door, snatch myself from the counter, and call Alex. Alex is laughing when he answers. Before he gets the chance to say hello, I say, Alex, some guy named Parker came here and says you're looking for him. What? You mean Cliff Parker is there at my house right now? I don't know his first name. Just said Parker. I say, Alex yells, hey, Gilmore, Cliff Parker's at my house. He's still there? Alex asks. I run to the front room and slide open the drapes, squinting to make the out the license tag. Just pulled out, I say, heading north. My heart's beating so fast it's hard to think. The sound of sirens race across the cell phone. Was he driving? As I give the vehicle description to Alex, he relays the dispatch. This is C1 Bolo for a white Ford Escort heading northbound in the direction of Ridgeland City Heights. Partial license, West Virginia Tags, E Echo F Foxtrot 948. Alert Mudsock Police Department to cover, the, to cover the Ohio side of the bridge. Male driver is one Cliff Parker. Hold and detain. Maybe armed and dangerous. The scatter in the kitchen is echoing out Alex's voice throughout the house, and I hear the sirens. Not only through the phone now, but from the two cruisers. Let me get this thing. Okay, why are you doing this? Okay. But from the two cruisers that are flying, flying past the house as footsteps fly up the basement stairs. I hear the echoing sound coming closer, and Ben rounds the corner with the scanner to his ear and Isaac on his heels. Which department, Mom? Ben asks. Yes, your dad's one of them. I say, realizing I'm holding my cell that now has a dial tone. The boys' eyes are so bright they could generate power for all of Wooten County. 
The guy they're after is the guy who just left our house, I say, feeling like I'm a drone, just regurgitating information. Ben squeals, awesome, and runs out the front door and into the yard. Isaac chases him. Wait up. I collapse into a rocker on the porch. Ben grabs a pillar and hosts yeah, grabs a pillar and hosts himself from the ground onto the front porch. Mom, they got him. That was fast, I say as the boys huddle around my chair. The radio dispatcher says, Car is being detained by the Mudsock Heights City Police. Isaac's eyes are blinking faster than our Christmas lights twinkle. I can't believe that guy was just here. Yeah, I saw him, Ben says. Yes, indeed. The armed and dangerous guy had just been talking to me. Just my luck. A demon leaves and a criminal shows up on the same day. Thank God I hadn't let Parker inside. I think Alice called him, Alex called him Cliff. Where did I just hear about? Oh, yes, it's cool. Brandon and Terry said some, someone named Cliff might have killed Hank. While Ben monitors the scanner, I call in a pizza. Forget the hamburgers. I shoot Joey a text telling her Cliff Parker showed up at my door and asked if she knows him. She tells me that Cliff is Stephen Hopper's mom's boyfriend, Joanne, uh, and Joanne is worried because Cliff and Stephen aren't getting along. Stephen, are we talking about Zoe's friend Stephen, I text? Joni answers, yes. Last week there was a big fight between Cliff and Stephen's mom. Cliff, okay, and uh, he does he doesn't do nice things to her. Stephen jumped in to protect her, and Cliff, and Cliff smashed Stephen's phone with a hammer. I'm afraid for Stephen. Like I said, I'm going to skip over the real juicy parts because I don't want to. Give, I don't want anybody to take offense to them or you know get banned. Please, everybody, if you like what you see in here, double tap that screen for me. Double tap that screen. Let's see if we can get a thousand likes today. While the boys catch lightning bugs, I curl my legs to my chest and think about Hank's murder. If Hank knew his granddaughter Zoe was getting drugs from Cliff, and if Hank and Cliff had an altercation. Cliff could have killed Hank. And since Cliff's being, and since, okay, stop for mom and giving, okay, Stephen, who was friends with Zoe, might know that Cliff murdered Hank. Stephen might want Cliff, excuse me a second, to get caught for the murder so that Cliff will stop be, be, beating people. If that's the case, Stephen might have written the note that was in my mailbox. Okay. It seems so obvious, but surely it can't be that simple. Ten minutes later, I'm at the side door paying the pizza delivery guy for salvation in a box. When Ben runs in, radio blaring. CI control, I'm transporting Mr. Parker to the office for driving suspended. Can you get a hold of Red's Red at record service? Have his car towed? I'll be in front of the Dairy Queen in Mudsock Heights. The dispatcher responds, 10-4-C-1 will do. I wink at Ben. Bet you wish you were a DQ with, with Papa Cal to watch all the action. I mashed, I mashed the cold potatoes and popped them in the microwave. Potatoes and pizza. Like Grandma said, all things in moderation. Since Parker isn't a threat anymore, I tell the boys I'm going jogging. It's me and Mother Nature tonight. No hamster treadmill for me. Boys, I say, these taters better be gone when I get back. Not even a crumb left. Ben scrunches his nose. A crumb, Isaac says, giggling. Yes, a crumb. I just wanted to see if you were listening. I say, smiling and feeling satisfied in knowing that they were. I'm realizing that I really want to be heard and recognize and recognizing that I want to be in a, I want it as a positive start to me. I hit Mudsock Heights' newest renovation, the paved walking path along the river that winds from the levee parking lot to a few benches in the park a few miles to the north. As I jog, I pray for the God, who I now know does hear me, 
to tell me what my purpose is. Some Surely, there's got to be a reason I was sent to this earth. The smell of fish blows in on the cool evening breeze, bringing with it the quacking of ducks and the sound of waves lapping the rocks from the barge humming by. A peace, wa a peace washes over me. I feel the strength inside. My God is telling me I co-created my purpose before I was even born. The audacity of me to think that I'm, I may have input, not only in my future, but in my past, that I could have helped design the blueprint for my life, frightens and excites me. If I inspired the problems that I would face here on Earth, that means I probably developed various solutions for them too, and I want to find a way to tap into that knowledge that may already be dormant within me. The possibility that I have a real mission here makes me feel empowered. When I dared God to prove he exists, he removed his protection, permitting a demon to enter my house. Maybe my purpose is to write a book about the experience. I realize I'm half a mile past my usual turnaround, so I heal to a U-turn and continue embracing my, my, my epiphany. Ever since I could read, I've enjoyed writing, and I'm good at it. But the follow by number of essays I had to write in school choked the life out of the characters I wanted to breathe into. Now, though, I do have to sculpt a neatly organized 3x5 that addresses a specific point. I can write any old way I choose, and my sentences with prepositions start sentences with but. No matter how quirky my style may be, it's no more eccentric than I am. And I want to share my wacky experience with the world even if, it's, even if the way it's written doesn't comply with the typical nonfiction genre. With each step I take along the river, I become more passionate about the idea. My first novel in, is writing itself. The subject, my real life, is unfolding with every neutron that's fired, every neuron. All I have to do is put it into words. The words I write will be words Alex won't want to hear. He may not read my book anyway, but if he have listened the first few thousand times I tried to reach his soul, with my words, the story of my life would be very different indeed. Without my desperate prayer, I may have remained ignorant as to the power of the Almighty. I'm almost back to where I parked my car, and when I hear a horn beep I turn in the dark dusk, get a glimpse of a hand waving from a truck that's pulling in beside me. The person turns, turns down the Blake Skelton tune blasting on the radio and leans out the window. I wish I had strapped, my, strapped on my mace like Dad's always telling me, he even bought me a tiny one that I could strap to my wrist. I slow to a trot and stay on the path under the lights until I'm a few feet from him. It's Logan. Hey, Sav, he says. Missed you at the book club meeting. Oh, I'm sorry. I had dinner with Luce and, and the bridesmaids. I say, hoping I can talk with Logan and be as strong and true to myself as I felt moments ago. Logan parts, pats the passenger seat. You up for a ride? I'd sure like to talk to you. I swipe the sweat from my forehead and glance up the road. Visibility is poor, so no one would notice me if I rode along. I can lend them in a year, as long as that's all I'm lending. Sure, I say. Just a short ride. Got the boys at home. I run, I round the truck and hop in. How you doing, Lo Logan? Drives a few feet and pulls off slowly. Mind if we just park? I nod and swivel my seat to face him. It's been tough, Savvy. I mean, I love Carrie, and I want her to be happy. It's just, I know she's not happy with me. Marriage changes things, you know. We, we, we barely see each other with my work schedule and the kids' ball games. I just got my, my preaching license. I was hoping we could work things out, have my own church eventually. But now, I put my hand on his arm. I'm sorry you're hurting, I say. 
Marriage isn't what I thought it would be either. Logan turns to face me. There's something behind those hazel eyes that are looking at me. More than a message that says I, that, that says I want you. A few strands of his hair are dangling over his cheekbone, and I wonder what it'd be like to nuzzle next to him, but I can't. I want to stop this vicious cycle. Logan's hand, okay. So Logan's hand is now on my hand that's still resting on his arm. I'm comfortable with you, Savannah, he says. In a way, I'm not usually comfortable with women. You're different. Oh, I'm different, all right, I say, feeling proud of my quirky self. Don't think I'm, I'm prying, but Logan rubs his jaw with his, head, with his free hand. I've heard you and Alex are having problems. Is that true? I squirm my hand out from under Logan's. It's complicated, I say. But yes, we're always having problems. Alex thinks everyone around here just loves him, Logan says. Sure, some of the thugs he arrests tell him to his face that they respect him, and he may be naive enough to believe that, but even the elite members of the community don't like him. <laughs> no one knows how you've stayed with him for as long as you have. I sigh and take the liberty of adjusting the air conditioning to cold. Alex is good-hearted, I say. I'm, I'm wondering why I'm defending him. He loves his job maybe too much. He's overbearing and obnoxious, but I love him. I feel Logan touching me. Okay, we're going to go with that. We're going to go with that. We're skipping over all this. Okay. Let's see. Okay. The image of Father Nick bla blazing through my yard. Through my yard, leading the prayer procession that, that, that just might save my marriage and my soul makes me pull back. Again, there's parts of this book that are like a Jackie Collins novel. So I'm trying to brush over them, you know, to keep things clean for TikTok. Please, and please, please, if you guys like what you see, give me thumbs up. Give me smiley faces over at TikTok. To double tap that screen for me, please. I'm trying to build up my likes. You have a friend here if you need me, I say, jumping out of the truck and thinking that as soon as Alex says something nasty to me, I may be kicking, I may be kicking my butt. I'll drive you back to your car, girl, he says, waving me back in. But I wink at him. Believe me, I need some fresh air. I turn to walk to my car and hear someone growl. I jerk my head around, but Logan's window is up, and he's already backing up. Either some creeps out there, or I take off running to my car, afraid to think that the demon could be lurking. I'm safely inside my car when I hear growl from the back seat. I jump out, screaming. I run to the busy gas station on the corner and look back at my car, the front door hanging open. There's no movement from inside. There has to be a demon stalking me. First Ryan's house, then Ted's office, and Joe's apartment. Now the car. It's following me. Is it a different demon than the one that was at the house? I don't know. I stand, shaking under the lamppost in the store parking lot. Oh, God, I pray, please protect me from this demon. I'm changing. I really am changing my life. I walk toward the river. I believe that you gave me this experience to help me change, to help me believe not only in you but in myself. God, I'm not giving up now. Please don't give up on me. It's a silent night at the house. Not a spirit is stirring. I think the water demon is gone. I'm not sure if the figure dressed in black that busted the tire is the same demon that was spraying the water, but I hope they're all gone. I wonder if I should cancel tomorrow's appointment with the, with the energy healer, Jen. She may notice I have a bad spirit with me, and I don't want her to think that, Ma that Mandy's nuts to be my friend. Besides, Jen will probably just refer me to the priest. But I don't want to tell Father Nick that an evil spirit has been following me. Sure, he's bound to rules of confidentiality. But if I don't trust anyone to not spill the beans, 
if they're tasty enough. All of Wooden County will find out. Even if Father sends it back to hell where it belongs, the community will always wonder if evil's still on my, ta my trail. The stigma of evil will be branded on me and my family. Maybe I should just keep my appointment with Jen. Her office is out of town, so my very personal problems will be too. She said I need a reconnection to the Almighty. I'm going to surprise her. I need a disconnection too from an angel of darkness. I'm reading from uh, Rain No Evil, and it's based on a true story. So, uh, so please double tap that screen. If you can find time to do it while you're listening, double tap that screen. About 1 a.m., I hear the kitchen cabinet bang shut. Alex is home from his jaunt to the county jail with Cliff. I stumble downstairs where Alex is kicked back in the recliner with a bull resting on his belly. Guess you got out of the boring traffic detail, I say, sitting on the couch. Parker was driving suspended, so he'll be in the slammer overnight, Alex says. Can't believe he came here, dummy. While I had him detained, I questioned him about the murder, and he, even though I wasn't supposed to. I told him Stranahan was in the next room interviewing a snitch about, about a case going down between him and that girl Zoe. But he is one tough, he is one tough guy. Alex points the TV remote into the air like it's a weapon. He didn't even flinch when I was interviewing him. Interviewing him. So if someone was brave enough to squeal on Parker's drug dealing? No, Sav. Good grief, Alex says, milk dribbling down his chin. There wasn't really a, a snitch there. That's just what I told Parker to get him to talk. What did he say about Zoe? He said he knows about her and, ha and you, Hank, but he wouldn't admit to, do, to doing anything with them or having anything to do with Hank's murder. Said his girlfriend's boy, Stephen, is friends with Zoe. He didn't tell us that before. That's what I was going to tell you, I say. My fingers tap dancing through the air. Joanne told me how Parker is dating Stephen Hopper's mom. Stephen's friends with Joey, he, Zoe. He doesn't get along with Parker because Parker is a jerk. Alex is engrossed in the milk and his bowl that's, that's splashing near the edge. Go on, he says, munching. I'm not retarded. I can even listen at the same time, even if you can't. I'm above this. I squirm toward Alex and squeeze his leg. So, I go on. If Stephen knows Cliff had something to do with it, with the murder, he could have been the one who wrote the letter. Hell, Savannah, anyone could have written that letter. True, but Stephen had a good motive for wanting Parker to get caught. If Parker goes to jail for murder, he'll be out of Stephen's mom's life and out of Stephen's house. Alex is silent. I'll let it simmer. He used to appreciate my observations, used to say that Savvy was the perfect name for me because I was clever. I still feel clever, especially when I'm around the, the denseness of him. I never feel this awkward with any other man. I don't know how to relax with Alex and just be me. When I'm honest about how I feel and what I think, he ridicules me. I try creating my own reality. I try telling myself that Alex respects me and listens to me. But the reality is he doesn't. And maybe I can only manifest the life I want with a willing participant. The news is announcing lead stories. And I ask if he's coming to bed. But he says he's, he, he's, he's too wired to sleep. You don't have to sleep, I say, tracing his leg with my hands. He stares at images of the black box bound above the fireplace. His choice, at, his choice activity when his brain is numbing. Me. I want to defrost mine. I'm tired of living numb. Are you kidding me? Well, what? That's it. Okay, we're going to continue. I just got banned off TikTok.
Jeez, uh, Louise. Let me see something. Now what? June 4th. That sucks. Violation reasons, guys. Here we go. Whoa. I don't agree with any of this. Hang on, guys. I'm going to have to, I'm going to appeal this because this is ridiculous. I don't know why they pulled it. Go. Okay. Now we wait. I had to appeal. All right. Well, I just got banned today. Somebody didn't like the story. So I don't know. Don't know. Maybe talk of murder. There's a guy murdering or whatever. But somebody didn't like the story. So there's no copyright on this or nothing. All right. I hop up and scamper to bed. Alex is not interested now. I won't be available later. I marinate in the dryness of my bed, hoping that evil will soon be and will be trimmed from my family tree and congratulating myself for resisting the temptation of reaching out to Logan, who was dangling within reach, ripe and ready to be picked. Okay, chapter 21, a genie in a basement. Continuing. While someone didn't like this on TikTok, somebody got their panties in a bunch. Jeez, man. Brandon is the first one through the door fifth period. Mrs. Templeton, he says, you think the police are going to arrest my uncle? Brandon looks as worried as he was after Mr. Feldman caught him smoking in the boys' locker room last year. I don't know why. Did you hear something? Courtney strolls in and slings her book bag under the desk. I ask her to stand outside the door and have the other students wait here. When Courtney walks out, Brandon says, my uncle says your husband didn't believe him. When he talked to him right after Hank died. And he's afraid that Taisel inter 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 interviewed him again. My uncle's scared of Cliff. Everybody is. Brandon spreads his hands on the edge of my desk and leans in. Mrs. Templeton, I don't want my uncle to go to jail for lying about knowing Cliff. He doesn't know anything anyway. Just rumors. I don't want Cliff to hurt him either. Alex didn't tell me if he's going to interview your uncle. But Cliff spent last night in jail. Alex arrested him for driving suspended. Okay. I look at Brandon's distraught face and want to relieve his fear. Oops, we're stuck. Hang on, guys. It got stuck again. So hang on. My computer's doing... It's going to be one of those days. Let me see if I can get this thing in advance. Hang on. Sometimes my mouse gets weird. Okay, I step in the hall to summon my students who are, who are waiting. And Mrs. Z's motion motions me over. Mrs. Z plumps her short hair, plumps her short hair and says, Mr. Meyer said he spoke to you about the ghost story you told your class. He said he mentioned that, that I told him about the spirit at your house, and, well, I didn't. I didn't I didn't want you to think I was spreading rumors. Of course not, I say. I figured you were just looking out for my best interest. Absolutely. And I always will be. She had just the, she had just the tight waistband of her, of her skirt. I never forgot the time that Alex that Alex helped us when the grandkids' four-wheelers four were stolen. Alex found them and the weasels who took them. She continues over the ringing bell and helped my husband out of the speeding ticket. God bless. Don't want to be tardy, I say, zipping across the hall and wondering if anyone would ever talk to me if my husband didn't wield that power of the, of the shield. The secretary buzzes my room, seventh period, and tells me I'm needed in the office. I grab a tablet and pen, thinking I'll need, the, I'll need to document a disgruntled parent who feels that their little angel isn't getting enough time to get their notes copied or their homework done. I waltz into the office, scanning for the sour-faced parent. 
but I'd only see a set of familiar, flirtatious eyes staring back at me. The man behind them hustles up and shakes my hand. Hello again, Mrs. Templeton. I was hoping to catch you on planning, on your planning. I bet he was. His hand has already lingered on mine too long, so I snatch it away and stick my hands in my pockets. I don't know what to say to this man. I can't even remember him. No, I don't even know his name. If you have a few minutes, his voice drones on. I'm not sure what he's saying, but I could probably write the script. He has it all planned. He even remembered my planning last period. I could also write the scene about what happens once we get to my room. And the one after that where I feel miserable and defeated. I'm sorry, I say. I have a meeting in a few minutes. I catch the secretary's glance. She's either wondering who she's going to have to sign in for the meeting I'm, you know, I'm referring to, or she's checking this dude out for, for herself. I have a phone co conference shortly, so today won't work for me. But thanks for stopping by. As I open the door to the hallway, he hands me his card and says, Oh, sure, I understand. You can contact me at your convenience. And darts towards the door. Walking toward my room, I feel the hit of satisfaction oozing through my blood, even though I lied about the phone conference. At least I lied for a good reason. First, I turn Logan away last night and now this. I searched the card in my hand for his name, Marcus. His name was Marcus, and knowing that makes me feel the teeniest bit better about our previous encounter. Saying no never felt so good. Now I need to keep saying no to things and people who aren't helping me to cultivate genuine happiness in my life. Pop back over to this right away. Okay. I'm still reading, dang. Banned from TikTok and still going. Minutes later, I call Alex as I'm speeding toward, the, toward Bloomingdale. I remind him that I have a doctor's appointment right after, right after school and will be back in time for Jack's graduation dinner at 7. This gin will have to be one hell of a genie in order to make, my se make any seeds I planted sprout into, magic sprout into a magic beanstalk. As I pick the park by Jen's white picket fence, I notice a wicker angel standing guard in her front window and a ceramic green leprechaun heralding me from the flower pot by the door, even though St. Patrick's Day was weeks ago. Jen opens her side door, her whole body radiating a warmth that seems familiar, yet foreign at the same time. She's practically glowing as she leads me down the stairs to her basement office. Jen sits at her desk. Whoa, they're going with the phone. Just fell over. Ha! It's going to be one of those days. Violet skirt, violet skirt flowing to the floor and indicates for me to sit in the rocking chair across from her. A funky-looking tapestry of the sun hangs on the wall behind her, and a Buddha sculpture sits beside a brass cat, knick-knack, that's waving at me from the corner of her desk. Then Jen smiles at me. Just sits there smiling at me, her azure eyes glowing with a knowing and a kindness I'm trying to recognize. The lady seems familiar, yet I know we haven't met. I'm not sure what to say. Seems she wants me to start this conversation, so I do. I tell her how I think I caused an evil spirit to enter my house. Maybe because I've lied and cheated, but mostly because I dared God to prove to me he was real. Regardless, a demon had been in my house, spraying water all over me and my family, and Father Nick had just exercised it. I tell her I think a bad spirit might be attached to me and how I think it's growing, growling at me. Jen's eyes haven't left mine since I started talking. She must not need to take notes like an ordinary counselor, and her cozy quarters lacks the cliché leather pal pal couch. This lady is eclectic, for sure, and she knows I know it. I can tell she's got a read on me. She tells me I'm intuitive and that I get a lot of good hits. I tell her I used to listen to my, my higher self, but think that I muted my conversations 
when, my consciousness, when I started prostituting my values, opting for a more obvious perception, and that I'm here now because I want to align myself to my life's purpose. Whatever that may be, however scary the transition. I tell her I'm 36 years old, and if I'm not ready now, I never will be. If I expect her to help me improve my life, I have to be honest with this lady. I tell her that poor me is so unhappy. I justify my adultery by explaining how awful Alex treats me and how he's had other women, too. I want her to feel sorry for me, so I throw in how my mom ran off with the preacher when I was a teen, leaving me a little loose, leaving me a little loose motherless. Jen hasn't interpreted, interrupted me once. I'm sure I've rambled on. I don't easily recognize when it's appropriate to stop talking. It's not a skill I've needed much since Alex always cuts me off before I'm done anyway. At school, the students listen, but my class is a structured environment, and I'm more comfortable talking to them than I am with an adult. I take a breath and say, so, is that all you need to know? As if she could just hand me a fix-your-life tonic and send me on my way. Her hands brush through her, her butter-colored hair, and she licks her glossy lips. We are all on this journey to learn, Savannah, and we all make mistakes along the way. Sometimes we learn from them, sometimes we don't. When we don't, the universe has a way of bringing challenges back around so we get another chance to learn the lessons. There's no condemnation in her voice. Where's, where's the you need to be sorry for what you've done sermon? Or that you're aging for it, or you're going for a visit with Beelzebub rail. I worm my rear back further into the seat cushion and say, karma is for real? Jen nods and places her hands together, finger to fingertip, mimicking the crystal pyramid pro prominently holding its place on the front of her desk. You understand that once we do, the reconnection for your, for your life will change. Not overnight, within a year usually. Are you prepared for the change? I feel like I've been here before, like I've returned home after a wayward journey through the foothills of Appalachia, where I lost a conglomeration of cells that I was born with, collected them, and brought them to Jen to help me fuse together. I know Jen is my last chance to ascend from this pit I've thrown myself into. I can't escape without help, and she's got the ladder. Jen's eyes pierce my soul. It is often a dramatic change. I clasp my hands and lay them on my lap. Any change has to be an improvement, I say, laughing. Not because it's funny, but because I don't want to know how much I'm depending on her guidance. In this, in this sun-starved forest where Alex's words, my own words, are strangling me like, like weeds wrapped around my gooseberry plant. That will depend on the decisions you make, how truthful you are with yourself. But she's smiling with those gorgeous glowing eyes again. I can't be mad. She's right. I do have decisions to make. The most important being whether or not to stay married to the man I love or leave him so I can love myself. I was faithful for a few years. My marriage wasn't any better then. We, we were nicer to each other for a period. I looked down at my shiny red toenails, feeling like a whore. I've been with Alex since high school, and I love him. I say, but even as the words come out, I know that Jen knows divorce is in the cards. That is, if I have the courage to be honest with myself. Even then, I didn't feel close to him, I say. Alex is very demanding and unrealistic. The last big fight we had was because he expected me to hold a whole piece of drywall above my head by myself. I mean, I work out, but really? Then he got mad because I dropped it. How did, how, how did you respond to his anger, Jen asks. I told him, I told him go away, and then went and had an affair. I say, realizing how silly it sounds for me to blame Alex for how I handled his anger. 
I guess I just need to work on me first. If I fix me, maybe I can fix my marriage. Jen stands and bustles towards an open door at the end of the room. Let's get to work then. Maybe there's one of those couches after all. I follow her into a small room where the only light is from a lamp on the dresser. Shadows pattern the wall beside bottles, house, and cabinets and lying shelves. The bed is like the one at my doctor's office, except this one has gingham flannel sheets and a plump pillow. You can take your shoes off and lie on your back. The pillow is front of your knees, not for your head, Jen says, walking toward a cabinet in the corner. We tend to stuff emotions and traumas inside our physical bodies. Detrimental thoughts lead to disease and ailments of all sorts. I'll be helping you heal your feelings you've had, like guilt and sadness. I slide off my shoes while Jen inserts a CD into a player. The room is much warmer than the room we were just in, so I pull my hair into a ponytail. The palette of music relaxes me. Best I can gather, it's a mix of Gregorian chants and the soothing music they play at the spa while I get massages. We really stuff bad emotions inside our bodies like stuffing a turkey. Turkey, I say, positioning myself on the bed. Jen giggles. Sure do, she says, sitting on a swivel stool. I'll be working on your energy field, placing my hands just above your body. You may feel warm or tingling or any number of other sensations throughout your body while I'm working on you. If you're uncomfortable at any time, just let me know, okay? I nod, and Jen places my right hand on my belly button. She wedges her left hand under, under, my, under my sacrum while making loops in the air with her right hand. She's either writing a message or trying to lasso a calf. Neither would make any sense to me, but I'm not asking her what she's doing. I know the cowboy and a beer sound good to me right now. This is weird. Maybe Alex should have me committed. I'm wondering what the heck I was thinking by coming here when Jen says, Oh, and there are angels here who help me. You can pray while I work on you, if you'd like. Her right hand is now hovering over my, my right hand that's still on my stomach. Pray, she says. I picture Father Nick waving his hand through the air, outlining an invisible cross over his chest, as if he's a symphony conductor, and, con and suddenly I make the connection between Jen's gestures in, in this house and Father's gestures in mine. Both Jen and Father form invisible symbols with their hands to represent the faith flowing through them, unseen. And a world they, and into a world they each, in their own way, are enlightening and healing. Both seem confident that they're communicating with a higher power. The rituals are different, but faith unites the unlikely spiritual pair who no doubt have been divinely placed in my life. Think I'll take Jen up on that prayer suggestion. I spin a silent prayer. Guardian Angel, if I ever need you, I need you now. I know you can hear me, and I believe you can help me to heal the brokenness I feel. Please protect me from anything, not of God, that may be here. I sense only good here with this lady. Jen doesn't seem evil, but sometimes evil is disguised as good. Just help me know the difference. Slowly, Jen brushes her hand from my shoulder to the end of my fingertips. She repeats this several times and then rolls, be rolls behind my head in her chair placing her hands just as close just close enough that I feel I have static in my hair. I feel a little woozy, but I don't dare tell Jen. I don't want her to stop. I want this to work. She continues down the left side of my body. My face and hands tingle. My bowels rumble. And if I don't know better, I'd swear someone pinched my leg. I close my eyes. A white haze flows, floats past me and a golden light flashes. They're spirits here, all right. I just hope they're good ones. After about an hour, 
Jen's to my right and riding in the air again. This time she makes her last wiggle. She flattens her hand above my belly, lowering and raising it several times as if she's, she's tamping an invisible cork. And so all the good she did won't leak out. Now, when you sit up, you may feel dizzy or weak, so take it slow. I prop on, onto an elbow and turn to disembark, but my elbow buckles and Jen grabs my arm. Easy. Braced against her, I slide off the bed and let my feet hit the floor. I hope whatever I'm reconnecting to is stronger than what I'm, fe than what I'm feeling. Savannah, Jen says, as I'm sliding on my shoes, you said you, you like to work out. You can think of these sessions like a routine that will make you sore, but builds towards your ultimate goal, strength. That, I say, ascending from what I feel was a consultation with my personal oracle I can do. On the way home, I stop at the supermarket to buy a card for, for Jack. As I scan the registers and see Joe isn't working, Okay, as I scan the registry, Joe isn't working. A feeling of sadness comes over me. I want to cry, but I'm not sure why. It's not like I want to hook up with him anyway. I try to define the feeling, and the only word that comes to mind is empathy. I feel sorry for Joe because he was searching for a connection, for some sort of happiness with me like I was with him. One thing's for sure. I have more to be happy about right now than the past even few weeks. Hang on one second. I've got to get this going. Uh, it's having issues. Give me a second. I may have to go out and back in. Okay. All right. Let me get up here. Yeah, it's not moving for me, so I don't know what to do. If nailing my supposed best friend isn't cheery vision, but I have to believe that Alex is seeking some something with this other woman that he can't find with me. I can't blame him for trying to find happiness, even though I wish he didn't treat me like he hates me in the process. Plucking my feet that seem cobwebs to the supermarket floor, I choose the lady cashier. See if I can get this going here. With the frizzy black hair and hurry home to freshen up for dinner. Alex is in the car, beeping the horn and prodding me along, but his ferocious beeping only slows me to a trot. I can only live in this moment, my now and right now. I'm going to avoid any situation that will make me feel bad about myself. I'm not hurrying just to please Alex. Yeah, I'm having trouble getting these pages to move. So, Turkey with the fixings at Bob Evans, coupled with the opportunity to chronicle his glory days to an enthralled audience, is the most valuable gift I could think of to give Dad for his birthday. With Jack, the new officer in the family, we have a table of seven. Alex doesn't flinch when I order two monster chocolate chip cookies from an appetizer, even as a waitress is laying memos on the table, menus on the table. I know the value of sugar, and he knows the value of keeping peace in the public. I initiate the party with a story of music playing, a story of, of, of a music playing ghost who serenaded mom, Luce, and me with the amazing grace one night while dad was working his beat in Mudsock Heights. The tune had broken the silence that winter evening, spiraling through the staircase to our rooms where all three where, where we, we all three lived half, laid half asleep. Luce and I stepped from our rooms at the time, same time Mom emerged from hers. As we converged in the hallway at the top of the stairs, waiting for confirmation that we were hearing was real, for what we were hearing was real, I realized Mom couldn't have just turned the record on downstairs. She'd been in her room. Luce hung under the sleeve of Mom's green fuzzy robe while I peered over the banister into the dark, empty hallway. The music stopped, and we heard the sound of paper crinkling. So Mom, one arm around Luce, one around me, led us into her bedroom and called Dad and Grandpa. Five minutes later, 
Grandpa was at the door, and Dad was screeching in, into the driveway. Lights and sirens. Dad searched the first floor while Grandpa coaxed us downstairs where he found the song we'd heard, Amazing Grace, on the turntable. Mom and I laughed. That is until Dad pointed out the power button on the stereo was off. Ben and Isaac got out the last of the crumbled cookie without taking their eyes off me. Jack is nudging loose and saying how she's never told him that ghost story. When I feel a tap on my shoulder, I jerk around, my arm bumping the gray-haired waitress who's balancing a tray of drinks. I hear a giggle to my right. Hey, Mrs. Tata Templeton, says a familiar voice. I twist to see Terry, always playing tricks. That's going to cost you. I think, think I'll have you clean all the desks Monday. You already get something good to eat or you're just getting here. He rubs his belly and smiles. Oh, I ate too, I ate too mama much. Catfish and mashed potatoes. He steps closer and leans on the back of my chair. I nod to the waitress who's been waiting for my order. I'm going to have the catfish too. Green beans, no taters. You gotta get the ghost, the ghost out of your house? Hope so, I say, glancing at Alex and faking a laugh, knowing I have to downplay the comment or he'll be pissed. I'm sorry for the word. He'll be livid if he knew that I had told my students and I had to file a formal response to the allegations of the Board of Education. Things good with you? Mom's home, he laughs. He's probably fake, too. This is probably fake, too. Enjoy your weekend, Terry, I say, steering clear of the confidential conversation. You can fill me in Monday. Whoops. Okay, guys. I'm definitely not dropping the word exorcism, especially with Alex present. I take a swig of water to buy a few seconds. My, my gaze tracing... Okay, Alex and Ben's glasses. I got... Stuff coming up on my screen. Alex and Ben's glances from across from me. I know there was an evil spirit in our house, and to lie about it in the presence of my boys, or anyone else for that matter, is like... Okay. Hang on, guys. i got to figure out what the hell's going on here. It's like denying the entire experience, and I'm not denying my truth anymore. I'm sorry, I say. I didn't recognize you, Mrs. Hunt. Yes, we had a spirit in our house, Father Nick... She's going to wonder why I've got a priest involved and not Pastor Todd. Alex looks up from his cell, squinting at me like he's getting a root canal without Novocaine. Todd told me to call Father Nick because he has experience with this sort of thing. Father just came to the house yesterday. Seems it's gone. Mrs. Hunt, holding the pitcher of water over Dad's glass, and says, My, oh my, I thought it was hearsay. You know how Ridgeland's rumor mill is. Knowing I'm the centerpiece for many of the ones circulating in it, I smooth my hand over my shirt, letting it rest on my belly where Jen tapped something good inside. I have the power to focus on the positive. I sure do know about the rumors, Mrs. Hunt. But would you bring me a cu cup of coffee, please, Black? I turn to Dad. It's about time to plan the annual camping trip to Camp Coral Town, isn't it? The boys instantly start jabbering about the past mothman hunts they went on during these outings, and Dad spouts off a few possible dates that might work. When Isaac asks Jack if he's going to be on the annual trip this year, I turn to Alex and ask what his plans are for tomorrow. Alex says he's helping Keegan lay tile in his bathroom, and the boys are going to, are going with him to ride four-wheelers over Keegan's 15 acres. I'm relieved I won't need to make up an excuse for my morning trip to, to Bloomingdale for round two, of which someone who just might be an angel who can help me earn my own halo. At 9 a.m., I'm standing at Jen's side door, ready for the second phase Toward two transformation, when the clinking of wind chimes wafts to me, wafts me somewhere around back. The sound that symbolizes change to me makes me think. Grandma Lenny, 
may have been instrumental in, in uh, leading me to Jen. Grandma would like her. I whispered to my heavenly departed. Yes, Grandma, my change is coming. Jen had instructed me to come on in if the doors crack, and it is, but I hesitate. I feel like I'm entering her holy space. It's her house, not a church. I tell myself, but I'm compelled to bow my head and enter with reverence for the grace she so easily extended to me yesterday. As I step inside on the landing by the steps, leading down to her office, Jen appears in the entrance of her personal living room, her, her aura eliminated more than it was yesterday. Right then I know I want to look like that too. I want to glow. I want to shine with, with love the way she does. If I have to feel sore, I can't excuse... I can show peace and confidence, like Jen. I'm willing to participate in this alter, alternative form of healing that I don't understand. I'm willing to give up men. Well, maybe. Her blue eyes crinkle at the corners as she smiles and she waits for me to say something. Hi, I say, how are you? Okay, that was a stupid question. She's great, darn it. She's the one treating me. Good, and how are you? Jen follows behind me down the stairs to her office and shoes a stoic white cat off a rocker before I sit. Fine, I just want to feel good about myself again, feel respected. An odd smell vaguely reminiscent of marijuana prompts me to peer into the dish on the table to my left where smoke is rising from a bundle of sticks and sea long color leaves. What's this you're burning? Jen curls her tongue over her front teeth. It's sage. It clears the area of negative energy. Sure, why not? No stranger than her balancing my invisible electrical currents and writing mysterious messages in midair. Jen adjusts the tiny golden lamp on the chain dangling from her neck. Respect comes from within. The most important person who needs to respect you is you. That's going to take a lot more than a few visits here. If she can really help me to like me again, the hour trip to get here will be worth driving every daggone week. I have more questions than she's got time to answer, so I settle on one. So how does this reconnection work? The body has acupuncture lines that were designed to connect with the Earth's grid lines, uniting us with the entire universe. Over time, the lines get disconnected, and messages from the God power become muddled, making it difficult to feel complete, to be true to ourselves, and make decisions that are, that are life-enhancing. Do you see the lines? I ask. Jen leans back in her chair. Not always. I usually sense them on the spiritual level. So you create lines between me and God. Yes, between you and the divine. The source of love and grace so you can heal, she says, as she motions for me to follow for, to the therapy room. Same protocol as yesterday. I remove my shoes and lie on the bed, gathering my hair to one side of my neck while Jen sits on her rolling stool and writes in the air. Jen's hand has been touching me only a few seconds, and I'm already feeling warm all over. My toes are tingling like the pins and needles sensation they get when I sit on them too long. I scan the wall to my left, noticing printed symbols on posters. The swirls and zigzag symbols resemble hieroglyphics. These could be the symbols she's forming in the air above me. Jen's meditation melody playing in the background lulls me to semi-consciousness. With her hands above my cranium, the inside of my head feels like it's being tossed in a clothes dryer. Tumbling advances to spinning, so I open my eyes and focus on a long shadow on the ceiling. Are you okay, Jen says, sliding away from my head and to my left. She places her hand on my arm, her glazed over eyes looking down at me. She really cares, I can tell. I'm tingling from my earlobes to my toes. I feel like I've, I've, I've slammed three Amaretto sours. My head is dancing drunk, but I say, yep, fine. 
She must think I'm such a frail little thing. But I'm tougher than I look. And I'm going to prove it. To me. To Alex. To the whole darn world. I'm going to endure this spinning sensation and get healed. Jen moves her hand slowly down my left arm, extending her reach several inches past my fingertips, like she's sweeping me with a whisk broom. She repeats this numerous times before brushing her hand just above my physical body from my hip bone to beyond the tips of my toes. There was a shadow on the ceiling directly above me. As I soften my gaze, focusing on it, a ghastly charcoal demon face appears, and the shadow's perimeters jut out streaking to the corners of the room. I blink and the shadow is a normal shadow again. I wonder if Jen saw that, but I don't ask. She probably sees spirits all the time. Jen is to my right, tamping me close like, like a good surgeon. I close my eyes, letting my head feel heavy and secure. I, I think of all the beds I've been in. From silk sheets to nubby cotton. From silk sheets to nubby cotton ones that reeked of sweat. From the from the couples who had rented the room before me. I think of all the positions I've struck. Okay. All those emotions I felt for the encounters, from sensual and desire to sad and remorseful. How appropriate that I be healed in a bed by a lady who calls God the divine. I'm thankful for her, even though the changes she promised haven't manifested yet. Jen is going to teach me how to change my life for the better. Like Ben's premonitions, I don't know how I know this. I just do. Pastor Todd would say, Substituting a term like the divine for God is sacrilegious. But God is divine, and it's obvious that Jen respects his power. There's no way this lady's evil, dark side, could possibly eliminate a room like she does. How are you feeling, Jen? Jen's standing to my right and smiling down at me. A little tired, I say. Might as well be honest. She can read my mind anyway. Jen extends her hand, helping me up. Take it easy the next few days. Give your body time to adjust to the new alignment and connection you have universe. Just focus on living your truth. I slip on my shoes and assure her I will. She wants me to, to she wants me to come back next Saturday for a follow-up session to listen to a self-reliance meditation while she balances my chakras. But it's Luce's wedding, so I schedule the appointment for the following for the following Saturday. I beat Alex home and have the whole dry house to myself, standing in the kitchen in quiet amazement. I absorb the fact that the water is not spraying me. Then it hits me. I actually kind of miss Casper's counter-ego. He gave me something to think about other than my deteriorating relationship with Alex. The evil presence captured my attention, made me focus on the spiritual aspects of life, and for that I'm grateful. I owe the water demon for alerting me to the ominous path I was on, forcing me to forge a new one kind of life, you know, like Moses did when he parted the Red Sea. I only wish I'd be given a cool rod like he had so I could always clear my path. I relax in my recliner and log into my laptop, feeling compelled to share this story about an also friendly Casper and his cronies who visited my house, about a priest who sent them packing, and about a lady with divine light who, on the most guilt-free bed I've ever laid, realigned my energy with God's source. I'm writing in my journal. I went from lover's beds of shame to Jen's bed of hope when Alex comes in the door. Sav, you home? Yeah, I say closing my notebook. I'm here. Dad's going through drill bits like Doritos on Super Bowl day, Alex says, clicking the scanner on the kitchen. Came home to get more and grab a bite. Where you been? Took a drive. Needed to get energized. I say inspired by the truth. I'm already speaking as much as I'm impressed with Alex's courageous smile using Doritos. I've got chicken in the oven. Should be done. The boys with you? No, they stayed at Dad's. i got to go back anyway and finish up. Just going to eat oatmeal and toast. 
You want to eat at the Roadhouse tonight, I say? Setting a tub of butter on the counter. Maybe go to the movies? He shrugs as he pumps as he pumps soap into his hand with the sink, with the, over the sink. Mandy's still in, I thought. Alex has his finger in just a minute, stats, as he listens to the radio dispatcher, giving directions to a house alarm call. Okay, go ahead. Mandy's going back tomorrow. Back home tomorrow. I've only seen her once a week. Thought we could double date. I know you don't know her boyfriend, but... Sure, I don't care, Alex says, slaying the bowl out of the cabinet. Whatever you want to do. He tears open the hot cereal packet while I, while I prop, plop bread into the toaster. Working quietly together, like this is nice. But awkward. I feel like this bubble of serenity will burst any moment. Liquid anger spraying everywhere. I'd, I'd like to tell him about my experience at Jen's. But I don't want to have to defend what I think or how I feel about the alternative treatment she offers. I'll see if the boys can hang with the ad tonight. And uh, we, we can pick them up on the way back from the movies. I place a spoon of brown sugar beside the warm bowl of oatmeal and join him at the table even though I'm not eating. Notice anything? I say. My smiling eyes prompting Alex to scan me from head to toe. What? He says. Something's missing. I say, spreading my arms wide like I'm Mary Lou Ritten winning, winning Olympic gold. Alex scoops oatmeal into his mouth. You know I can't ever tell when, when you get your hair cut. I didn't, I say, pointing to the table. We're sitting at, and the wall where our wedding picture hangs in its proper place. Oh, yeah, the tablet's not covered with plastic anymore. Oh, the oh yeah, sorry, the table. The table's not covered with plastic anymore, Alex is laughing. It's like it never even happened, I say, expecting God to say, psych, and water to douse me any minute. I've been writing about it. Wouldn't it be cool if I could get the story published? Heck, Sav, just because that kind of stuff may, might be real doesn't mean I want everyone to know. But the prayer Father Nick said made it leave. I hesitate, expecting Alex to interrupt me, but he's just slathering jelly on his toast. That means there's a lot of power behind him, and I'd like to tap into that. I mean, can you imagine the faith he must have to be able to command a spirit to leave? I interlace my fingers and pop a few knuckles. I think I'll go to Mass tomorrow. Alex peers up at me from under a bushy eyebrow. What time do you say? 9.30. I'll go, Alex says. No way. He's going to Catholic Church. Alex gathers his bowl and kisses me on the forehead. I pull my head back and look straight into his eyes. Somewhere in there is the person I married. He seems to sense my eagerness and bends further, allowing his lips to touch mine before turning towards the door. As Alex pulls out, I tie on my tennis shoes. I want to get in a jog before my date with my husband, who just may love me enough to make the change I need. At six, we meet Mandy and her bow at a packed roadhouse, where dishes clank and customers chatter. Baby, I was born to run. Oh, I'm sorry. In an attempt to be heard above the Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, so she's trying to talk and, and yeah, and, and uh, be extra nice to Alex. We'll put it that way. And uh, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen, they're trying to talk over Baby, I was born to run. For the first time in a long time, I don't feel like running from, from Alex, from my life. As we reach the table, I scoot the booth beside Alex, feeling more me than I have since I can remember when. I breathe in the symphony of smells, the steak, the apple pie. I feel comforted, and I'm not quite sure why. I relish, I relish the commotion of customers ordering and babies crying, and the bell dinging every time the front door opens. Then I realize it is normalcy. I get a whiff of, and there's no distinct smell for that. After we eat, I suggest we watch The Exorcism of Emily Horrows. Hell no, Alex says. Mandy winks at me. We'll still go with Wedding Crashers. And Wedding Crashers it is, as we pile into the back row 
at the theater, me sitting behind Manny, or Mindy either side. Manny's man lays his arm tenderly around her shoulders and whispers something in her ear, motivating me to place my arm in Alex's leg. His quad is one hard muscle, not only, not only the one I admire. As the actors jump in, Oh, as the actors jump from one mess to another on screen, Alex takes my hand. I notice how tiny mine looks enveloped by his. He kisses my hand, and I feel flesh, fresh beginning that the fresh beginning is taking root. By the end of the movie, I'm optimistic that relationships do evolve as a result of hardships, just like the characters in The Imitation of Life on the big screen. Maybe Alex and mine can, can too. At home, the boys scurry up to bed, and I snap open the cabinet, making sure Pop-Tarts are handy for the horn-blowing breakfast bash in the morning. Alex hates being late. On his scale of sinfulness, being late to church is not is the eighth deadliest one. In bed, I pull the quilt over my chilly bare legs and trace an X on Alex's chest with my finger. I stay quiet. Talking is where the problem starts. All right, so they do their thing. So we're going to go there. And then next morning, rising between the most elevated cliffs and Mudsock Heights, a majestic stone steeple steeps to strive to reach the heavens. As Alex, the boys, and I round a corner to the oldest church in the area, the sun glistens through the trees, and I imagine it's winking at me as if I knew I would end up here eventually. God knows everything, or at least that's what I was taught growing up. That never made sense to me, then how God can know the choices we will make before we make them. It still doesn't ring true. But I am beginning to understand that I will have to be content not knowing how the universe, how the universal mystery called God's function, called called God functions. What I do know, as much as a human can know anything, is that there are forces at work in this world that I may only glimpse now and then. They can show up when I least expect them to, or when called upon. And both forces, light and dark, serve a, pur serve a purpose. Both are a necessary component of the lessons I have been sent here to learn. Delving into that darkness has led me to light. Just as I pull my lipstick out of my purse, I glimpse movement from my right. A little girl with brown curls and yellow sundresses streaking across the road. I scream. The car lurches to a stop. Darn it, Alex says. You scared me to death, woman. A young man closes in behind the girl and swoops her into his arms. I remove my hand from the dash and return the man's wave of thanks for yielding to the spunky toddler. Again, I wonder... Why I'm always saving babies. Alex maneuvers into a parking space close to the door, which is easy to find since we are 20 minutes early. I fiddle in my purse, buying a few seconds of freedom before entering the, the doors where I know everyone will inspect us, the visitors who had Father Nick exercise their house. I approach the boys and Alex, who are waiting on me by the gothic wooden doors, Alex squirming as Alex straightens his tie. Embedded in stone by the entrance is a plaque that reads, Established 1808. That's two centuries worth of confessions and Lord have mercies. I wonder if my family gets extra points for having the only exorcism. And the foyer. I plunge my hands in the foot of the holy into the font of holy water until it reaches my knuckles. I'm tempted to submerge my entire hand when Alex slides his hand in the small of my back, nudging me forward. Guess I get to decide where we sit. I lead my men into the sanctuary, noticing that most people are doing what appears to be a lunge in the aisle before they step into their pews. In the heels I'm wearing, I decide I'm not testing my balance and ending up face first in front of these strangers. Choosing a short pew against the far left wall for Alex and me, I direct Ben and Isaac to sit directly in front of us. This arrangement makes it much easier to shoulder poke the boys when they slump.
The needle creaks as I unlatch it, drawing it to the floor. Kneeling now that I can do. Kneeling now that I can do. Sorry. While Alex and the boys sit on the pine seat, I bow my head, replicating the, the others who are resting on their knees. There's no music or talking. A silent reverence seems to emanate from the congregation of people who are all dipping in a holy water, signing the cross, or kneeling and bowing. The somber mood seems to permeate the others and float out the steeple as an oblation. As I pray to God to saturate my pores with the peace I feel this moment, I peek to my right where a prim older lady clutching rosary beads sits swaying in her pew and mouthing silent prayer. I return to my prayer, adding a request for Alex and the boys to be protected from evil and for, cooperate, for cooperation and understanding to abound in our family. The sound of organ music startles me from silent repose. I hear rustling in the surrounding seats, so I slide over the bench behind me, and laying my hand on Alex's knee, inhale a melody of Murphy's old soap and incense. Hang on. I think we skipped an extra page, so i got to go back. I don't know how I'm going to do that because my mouse has totally, like, stopped working. Hang on a second. I skipped the page, and I want to... I don't know how to go back here. Hang on. Unless I can do it from here. Let me see. Nope. Okay. Give me a second. Issues, issues, and more issues. Let me go to the battery. Hang on. This mouse has been... Oh, yeah, I almost just lost the camera, I see. This is not happening today, is it? Sometimes you just don't want to go, you just don't want to deal with, you know, this sort of stuff. And now I don't know where I put the, after all that, okay, hang on. we have power on here? Let's step it down. Let's see if I got this in right. Okay, are you going to work for me? Come to mama. Nope, no mouse. Well, okay. Um, well, this is not a happy place today, is it? Give me a minute. Sometimes you just don't want to get up in the morning. This is one of those days. Got kicked off a of TikTok. Okay, I was right with that. Let's try the other one. Got kicked off a of TikTok. Look, I'm trying to get kicked off a of TikTok. It's like a badge of honor, but unfortunately, I don't feel like very honorable right now. I don't know why this mouse is having the issues it's having, but it is. There we go. I got the mouse back. So I want to go back. Okay. A couple of five children shuffles past us into the front just as something jars my pew. A mousy, blonde-haired gentleman in gray dress pants and plaid shirt is gripping Alex's side of the pew. Alex asks him if he's okay, and the man responds, tough getting old. The old geezer reeks of alcohol, and the smell destroys the bouquet of holiness I was enjoying. He stumbles forward and drops himself into the pew behind the lady with the rosary beads, just as everyone stands and opens their hymns. Let me, let me look at this real quick. Yeah. Oh, boy, we lost the camera. Okay, you guys can still hear me, right? So let's find out what the hell's going on here. Hang on a second. Anything that can go wrong today is, isn't it? All right, hang on and uh, see if I can't. My browser's. I want to refresh. Well, I don't know. This is no, nothing is happening like it's supposed to. Let me see if I can fix this. Hang on. This has been a day of just nightmare, hasn't it? Okay, let me see what I can do here. Try and reset. 
this camera. See, am I on the other camera? I don't know what I'm on right now. Okay, I'm trying to get the other camera. You can tell that my HP camera is really bad. Okay, so this camera is just connected to the main camera. So, wow. I mean, gigas. Just because I kind of hit it. Hang on. This is just craziness today. All right, let me try to hook in the other camera now. Uh, I know you guys can hear me. I'll probably continue that way, but I'm not in a very good mood right now. Everybody hang tight. I'm going to back. Well, this has been a hell of a day, hasn't it? <laughs> Everything has gone wrong. Got banned off TikTok. What more do you want? So let's finish off our reading, and I'm just going to go bury my head in the sand and cry. That's what I'm going to do. He stumbles forwards and, and drags himself into the pew behind the lady with the rosary beads, just as everyone stands and opens their, their hymnals. I turn slightly so I can watch the entire spectacle. A tall man displaying a huge maroon book high above his head steps forward from the entrance, followed by a young lady holding a gold cross with two robed adorned teenagers with flickering candles. The caboose is Father Nick, who's singing robustly from a hymnal party, partly covered by the dangling sleeves of his green robe. They proceed toward the altar, and when the choir stops singing, Father climbs the steps. The tall man places the book on the lectern, while the girl places the cross on the altar table where the teens position the candles. The organ pipes fade, and Father greets his flock with good morning. Good morning, Father, everyone responds. I'm impressed. Getting students to answer my prompting in class this concisely would make me the teacher of the year. I open the book everyone is looking in. But there's more than songs inside, and I can't figure out what page the man at the podium is reading from. Dad always said, always act as if you know what you're doing, even if you don't. So I continue looking at the page I'm on. A gentleman, let's see, let me go back a second. Okay. A gentleman reads from the Psalms about how only a fool stays says in his heart, there is no God. I've been, uh, I'm entranced, like God is speaking directly to me. Maybe there are no coincidences in life. It's all orchestrated by a higher being who provides clues, like a scavenger hunt that leads us through this maze and into the open field of freedom where we surrender to the light that's pure. We remain standing as petitions are read for the sick and deprived people of the world. We sit, and another reading follows, this time about demons being cast into swine. I feel like God is confirming that I'm supposed to be here. Some scriptures of the open field of freedom where we surrender the light is pure. We remain standing as petitioners read for, for a sick... Okay, that's where we left off. See, it jumped on me again. Sure, scriptures are supposed to speak to the masses. But how many people in this building recently dared God to prove? He is real and has seen a demon in a mirror. The choir sings, I will raise you up on the last day as as long-handed baskets are extended through the pews by the ushers. I pondered the raising up that I've been told about since I was a kid, the rapture, and how God will burst through the clouds on a white horse, and people are forgiven of their sins, been baptized and received the Holy Spirit, will fly to him. 
Until now, I've never thought of raising up as being any different than that scenario. But maybe the rapture is simply our ascension to a higher consciousness. Maybe we're gonna, we can access that particle of God within us by, re, by repairing our damaged connections and fusing them to the energy God created, like Chin did of mine. We stand, and we stand, and three long hallelujahs later, Father makes his way to the podium and reads from Luke. Let's see. And reads from Luke. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. Father motions to the crowd to sit and continues. The word faith is not used in this passage, but it's implied. We must have faith that God will provide what we ask for. Being too specific with your prayers inhibits the breakthroughs you want in your life. Always ask for God's will to be done, even as you seek and ask. I'm relieved that Father is interpreting the scripture without once screaming or gasping like the preachers I grew up listening to. Dad's probably at his church right now where his preacher is saying something like, I'm going to tell you. The world, the world is ending. One sin, my brothers and sisters, will send you straight into the fiery pit where there's gnashing and grinding of teeth. Even after mom eloped with the preacher, dad's face seemed unshaken, unlike mine. Maybe I had affairs to experience when mom did, so I could understand what type of love could propel a person to leave their family, but I don't want to leave mine. I lay my hand on Alex's arms arm, thankful that he's with me in this holy place, and thankful that Father was brave enough to wage a spiritual warfare against our unseen enemy. Ben's so low on his seat that he looks so short. He looks as short as Isaac, so I give him a poke. Father wraps up his speech. Just like the Holy Spirit descended on John the form of a dove, so too will. So, so too will he descend into our hearts if we welcome him. That, this is why I'm not a pastor. Everyone stands and reads a creed. That's me talking. Everyone stands and reads a creed, everyone except Ben and Isaac, and the drunk guy whose head is drooping like a weaving willow. The dude will miss communion, but he doesn't need any more alcohol anyway. He's already had enough to save his whole family. During communion, I inspect the stone engraving above the stained glass window beside me that depicts Jesus with a halo of light emanating around him. His head, I, his head around his head, sorry. I wonder if the white aura signifying the enlightenment is the symbol of the same wisdom and goodness from Father trailing, trailing the group. As a congregation disperses, I recognize the rosary lady as a co-worker from the bank where I used to work before I started teaching. She steps into the aisle and, as if we don't have, didn't have enough years to catch up on, asks if my house is quiet now. I want Alex and the boys to feel as comfortable here as I do, so I answer generically with, yes, thanks to Father. As we pass by Father Nick, who's stationed by the front door, he hardly shakes the boy's hands before taking Alex's. Father points his finger at, at Isaac and says, When you need more holy water, young man, you know where to find it. Isaac loosens his necktie and says, Yeah, thanks. As we pull out of the parking lot, Ben says, Wow, that was weird. And long, Alex adds. I enjoyed it, though. I say, turning down the radio. Alex has, has tuned to the baseball game. How about you, Alex? You think you'd like to go back? Maybe. Hey, look at that rainbow, Alex exclaims, as we approach the bridge leading into the wild, wonderful West Virginia. Cool, it's a double one, Ben says. The arches of color bend over the bridge and seem to end on the roof of our house. I hope it's a sign that the church is the answer. Alex and I, Alex and I need to mend our marriage. Breathtaking, I say. I've never noticed that colors of the rainbow are the same as our, ch as our chakras. Chalk can be any color, Mom, Alex Isaac says. 
Oh, your mom's talk, talking voodoo hoodoo stuff, Isaac. Alex says, don't pay any attention to her. Maybe the pot of gold is on our porch. I say figuring that I might as well say something kooky as Alex expects me to. Now, that's the most witty thing you've said in a decade, Alex says, turning into the drive. Maybe it's the first time you've actually listened to me in a decade, I say, clutching my purse, ready to hop out as soon as this contraption stops and vowing to explain our, our body's energy centers to the boys privately to, so Alex can't interrupt. I want Ben and Isaac to be willing to consider the profuse mysteries of life, even if they never understand them, and that will require more abstract thinking and less sarcasm when they are learning from their dad. Alex pulls in the garage, and Ben says, I'm starving. How long before dinner? About 15 minutes. I put the dinner in the oven before we left. I didn't know service would be this long. Hope it's not burnt, I say, rushing into the house and yanking open the oven door, relieved to see a fairly crisp meatloaf. Alex slips on the TV and announces, Rocky is on. Isaac traipses upstairs, and Ben plops on the couch beside his dad. I add a slab of butter to the instant potatoes I'm stirring and dunk my memory into sweeter times. And the squeal of, grandma, of Grandma's mixture accompanied by her gentle prodding. Make sure you warm up the milk before you add it to the potatoes, Savvy. There would have been no instant mashed potatoes on Grandma Lenny's table anyway. I can almost hear Grandma's screen door bang shut and little Benjamin giggling as he gets chased by the cookie monster played by his Aunt Luce, while Dad and Alex discuss how to repair Alex's most recently purchased vehicle. Grandma Happy would be watching the televised golf match in his... Grandpa Happy, I'm sorry, would be watching the televised golf match in his... In his leather recliner, the arms of which were worn and dingy from the abuse over the years, but he wouldn't hear of anyone buying him a new one. The chair has my mark, he would say. It's like a pair of shoes. It's more comfortable with every passing year. I turn off the mixer and walk back into the living room. Dinner's ready, I say, but Alex and Ben are riveted on the boxing story they've seen a dozen times, and neither bats an eyelash. Dinner's ready, I say louder. Alex rattles his head like he'd been stung by a bee. Huh? Isaac, dinner's ready, I shout from the bottom of my of the staircase. Isaac appears at the top landing and says he's not hungry. I tell him he can warm it up later, and I head to fill my plate. Where's Isaac, Alex says, shoving off the couch as Ben heads to the kitchen. He's eating later, says he's not hungry, I say. Nope, Alex says, strutting the steps. Isaac, get your butt down here and eat. I'm not hungry, Isaac responds. I said now. I said I'm not hungry, Isaac says. You're so hard-headed, Alex screams from his stance near the bottom of the stairs. You'd better get down here. Alex screams so loud I brace myself against the kitchen counter, preparing to run to Isaac's aid should I need to. Ben is holding an empty plate and staring at me. Isaac rushes past me into the half bath, saying, I'm just not hungry. Alex's voice trails behind. You're misbehaving, that's all. My dad would not... But my dad, my dad would have hit me if I back-talked to him like that. Alex turns the doorknob into the bathroom, but my smart boy has locked it. Rocky's on TV telling Adrian, it isn't about how hard you get hit, it's about how hard you can hit and keep moving. Good advice, I think, jostling through the study and wondering how far I will get before Alex knocks me down. But I have to stop just before it escalates. Just eat. Just, let's just eat. He can eat later, I say, returning to the kitchen and spooning baked beans on Ben's plate. You would take up for him, Alex says, banging on the door where Isaac has barricaded himself. I just want Alex to stop yelling and trying to make people obey his every command. I know Isaac is a kid, 
that he has to have rules. But why is it such a big deal to Alex if Isaac isn't hungry? The answer is control. The one thing Alex can't handle losing to others, and the one thing he has absolutely none over himself. Alex is rattling the bathroom door handle now and assisting Isaac open the door. I hear the door open, and Alex is telling Isaac to get in the kitchen, but Isaac says he's going to his room. Alex screams, Get your butt back here right now. Someone runs up the steps and the door slams. Must be Isaac because Alex steps in the kitchen, his face the color of hellfire I'm trying to avoid. You don't ever support me. You can't be the kid's friend. You're supposed to be a parent. Ben says, Isaac always has to be difficult. I can't really be here. This can't be my life. My mind has blistered to the popping point. I become an observer to my own body as the meatloaf in my hands flies through the air and crashes on the floor in the living room. I feel like what was left of my rational mind just exploded with the food. The area rug is splattered with grease, chunks of meat, and sprays of ketchup that accompanied the marbles that blew out of my head. I'm paralyzed. My mind feels like a surface, sanded and prepped for a Salvador Dali painting of melted time. Time that's draped like cheese over human landscape. My eyes are glued to the beauty of my anger that is displayed on the floor like the finest tapestry that has taken years to create. I didn't realize I had the potential for such artwork. The dish was out of my hands in a flash just like time. Time that we don't see disappearing until it's gone. Alex sounds like a teacher on Charlie Brown. Wah, wah, wah. It's as if a mental barrel covers my head. He's screaming something about me being a lunatic. I catch a glimpse of Isaac running past me and out the door, but I'm not sure of what I'm seeing is real or imagined. Maybe everything I'm seeing is a dream. I find myself outside in the garage with my arm around Isaac as he sobs. I'm expecting Alex to come ranting towards us any moment. If he does, I swear he'll have to kill me before he lays a hand on this child. Isaac doesn't deserve a spanking. I tell Isaac what happened isn't his fault, and I'll have Papa pick him up, that he can stay over there today so he has so, so he can get away from his dad. I leave Isaac leaning against the garage and go inside to get my phone. I don't know where Ben is, but I should talk to him. Maybe he could go to Dad's too. Alex is standing in the middle of the living room with his arms crossed watching Lazy scarf up the mess. Alex looks at me as I sp speaking the silent message of disbelief and possibly a doubt of fear. He looks like he just finished running the Boston Marathon, but I don't feel sorry for him. I'm exhausted too. I shoot an invisible arrow through, the air, through his heart. I want to put him out of his misery because he's out of his. Because, it, because if he's out of his, I'll be out of mine. I grab my phone and I'm outside with Isaac and talking with Dad on the phone when Alex and Ben hop in the truck and peel out. Probably headed to a drive-thru food. When Isaac grabs his shoes, I scope the living room while the only indication that anything happened is a splash is staining the carpet. I get ticked at the boys for tracking in grass on the carpet, yet here I am throwing meatloaf on it. To a stranger, this could have been the result of simple accident, and it was an accident. Sort of. I didn't plot on throwing it. I just knew that the lady whose hands just threw a flaming hot meatloaf through, the, through her house, purposefully or not, will never be the same. I'm not quite sure who that lady is, but she's part of me that is a survivor. She isn't afraid to make a mess. and might just turn out to be a beautiful masterpiece of a mess. She isn't afraid to venture out on her own because the thing that scares her the most is living with the monster she's married to. Is living like this, existing like this. Growing old and gray with a miserable man who obviously can't see the goodness in the world anymore. I feel sorry for Alex, but I refuse to become him. 
In the sink, I find the dish the meatloaf was in. It's not broken. But my heart has a crack the size of the San Andreas Fault. I can't bear to scrub the dish clean. It will never get cleaned by me. All I had wanted was for my family to eat together. But somehow, Alex has managed to strangle Sunday, the day destined to display love and love of neighbor and of the Lord. The Sabbath should be untouchable by anger and malice. And yet, Sundays, being no respecter of persons, boasts of violent storms, hurricanes, beatings, rapes, and murders, just like any other day. And today, a tornado just swept through my house. The sound of traffic draws me outside onto the porch, as if to suggest that something greater than me is streaming sunshine and transforming mankind's grease-splashed errors like the one on my rug. I curl my feet as tight to my chest as I can and tell myself I'm going to be okay. As if on cue, the wind chimes ding. I smile toward them with silent gratitude for the encouragement. If Grandma were still alive, she would be saying, Well, heck, Savvy, life's too short to be miserable. You're a smart girl. You'll figure it out. Jen thinks I'm smart enough to make decisions that are life-enhancing. If that means I live without Alex, without another man, period, that's fine with me. I'm dedicated to following the clues out of this maze, even if Alex isn't trying to set the surrounding field on fire. My appointment with Jen in two weeks is two weeks away, and I don't have two weeks of sanity left. I'll call her tomorrow and ask for the first available appointment. I know Jen's not going to tell me to leave him. I'll have to make that decision myself but she can help me become self-reliant enough to leave the only love I've ever known, if that's what I have to do. Dad waves from his truck that, that just turned into the driveway, and Isaac bursts out the front door with his duffel bag and hugs me. I grab hold of Isaac's arms and look into his eyes, puffy from crying. I promise things are going to get better. Your dad loves you. He just, I rub Isaac's arms, just doesn't always show it. Dad would be on the porch by now, lending an ear, if I hadn't told him on the phone that Alex and I had a fight. And I don't want to talk about what happened right now. It was awkward It was awkward admitting to Dad, but it did feel nice, to be honest. I have to stop hiding the pain that I'm going through if I'm going to heal. I'm studying the hanging azaleas, full of what I realize Luce is talking to me. She's already strewn across her favorite lounge chair, back propped up with a pillow, drinking a sweet tea. So, Luce says, what? I say, I'm sorry, crazy day's here. Boy, you're spacey today. Where is everyone? She got. She gathers in her long, dark hair and piles it on top of her head. Ben and Alex are getting takeout, I think. You just missed Daddy. Picked up Isaac. I stretch my legs to where the sun's reaching. Like I was saying, Luz says, I still haven't decided up on my hair, up, down, or what do you think? I tilt my head high in the air and flutter my eyelashes. Hair will not a bride make or break. It's the sparkle in your eye that counts. Ah, Shakespearean humor, Luce says, offering a, a sitting-style curtsy. Luce, I'm happy for you. You know that, I say, sitting back into my cushion. I like Jack, but are you prepared to be married to a cop? Hope he leaves the drama at the office, Luce says. Oh, I don't mind if a few stories trickle home, but heck. Living so far out of town will probably be, will probably be spared the crazies at the doorstep like, like you get here. I shake my head. Even when we lived in the country, we were barraged. Alex can't shift down from police mode when he's home. It's like the boys and I are the enemy. I hope Jack adapts to the force with his humanity intact, if that's possible. Me too, Luce says. Alex accommodates the intruders, then wonders why they bother him at home. It's because they know he's never in off mode. He's nicer to a total stranger in our yard than, than he is to me most of the time. I attack the wooden arm, I smack the wooden arm of the chair. He won't hesitate to scream his head off at me and the boys. But 
Let some needy criminal stop it. Oh, the sweet, helpful words are spoken then. Bruce is not moving. I'm sure she's breathing. Finally, she gasps. Oh, Savannah, I know. Being a policeman changed him. My baby sister has a quiet strength that I always admired, even though the compliment remains unspoken. I know, I say, I love him. Just tired of trying to make it work loose. I haven't said anything to Dad about our marriage being rocky, so keep this just between us. Loose tips your can of tea. Alex and Ben turn in the drive and pull around back. My stomach flips. The thought of conversing with Alex makes me want to hitch a ride out of here on the back of the train clacking by. Suddenly I remember something I want to share. I had the weirdest dream last night. A demon called me on the phone. I know this was just a dream, but it was so real. This deep guttural voice just like just like growled at me over the phone. Luce's face is frozen again. Long chapter, guys. Then there's this jumble of letters on the wall behind my bed. I'm holding the flashlight and scanning the wall trying to decipher the hidden message. It started with an M. Luce squeals. Oh my God, Savvy, you aren't going to believe this. I had that same dream last week. Luce is flapping her arms like she's on fire. I don't remember a flashlight, but I heard the demon on the phone. I saw words on my wall, too, and the word was monster. I screwed to the edge of my seat. We had similar dreams before, but not about demons. I don't want to tell Luce that I, I think a demon is following me. I want it gone before I mention it to anyone. What do you think it means, I ask? The voice was absolutely terrifying, Luce says. Maybe it's after us. Who's after you? Ben says routing the porch with a bag of food that smells scrumptious. The devil, that's who, Luce says, forming her hands in a bear closet, grabbing at him. Remember the cookie monster? Ben laughs. The devil's already got you, Aunt Luce. He doesn't need me. He says, gripping Luce's neck with the hand, not holding his takeout. Hey, Luce says, prying Ben's hand off. Speaking of demons, Dad's, Dad says your water demon is gone. The house is as dry as the Sahara, I say. I want to tell her that I saw Milo fly through the room. But I'm too embarrassed. Maybe the devil has mom too. She threw the meat, she threw the meatloaf. Ben says, and wow, Dad was mad. I fake a smile at Luce, who was thinking out of her seat. Definitely not in the police wife's handbook of proper protocol. She says, grinning. Luce hugs me, whispering, "I'll pray for you." I don't know how to st how you stay with him. I'll probably throw I'd probably throw the whole fridge. And she's off. I realize how much I enjoyed the like-minded friendship of my baby sis. Growing up, we were so different. Luce, the scaredy cat, gripping the open second-story window frame from inside while I clambered out the window and down the steep roof to retrieve my, my baby doll's bottle that had rolled to the edge of the drain pipe. Me, boisterous, objectifying and mundane as useless. If I was a cattail whipping in the wind, Luce was a hemlock tree, unmovable and grounded. I run inside and grab my journal, ignoring Alex, who's sitting, hands down, who's sitting on the couch, and run back out the the spot on the porch where I do the only thing I know to write. The solitude library is calling, so I gather my laptop and head out without any explanation to Alex, who's digging at the edge of the driveway for God knows what reason. A small table overlooking the river is where I land, the perfect scenic view from which I can begin my novel. A novel about a house, exorcism, and how the experience is changing me. For the next two hours, my story pours onto the pages of my laptop. Liquid words filling the spongy word document and filling me with a, with a release. It's as if the keyboard is drawing toxins out through my fingertips. The story itself absorbing my thoughts and reciprocating and understanding that human interaction often refuses to provide. I take a break and peruse the spiritual paranormal section. As I glance over the titles, I feel compelled to look at the very bottom shelf. 
I start to walk off, but again feel I'm supposed to look at the book only inches from the floor. Sighing, I swiveled and see it. The book that's really me in the title, The Verbally Abusive Man. Abuse. The word seems so harsh. The word abuse makes it sound like I'm a victim. But I can't fit into the victim category. I'm Savannah Templeton. My husband helps victims of domestic violence. He can't be an abuser, can he? I slide the book out and open it. I don't read self-help books, and I'm definitely not checking out the book from the local library where every desk clerk here knows me. I tuck the book back on the shelf and take two steps, but an unseen string has attached me to the book, probably thanks to Jen reconnecting me to my potential. I am supposed to read this book. I pick it up and stare at it. For research, I say, smiling while I'm lying to the clerk. I'm tossing my bags in the trunk, my car, when a familiar truck pulls in and Logan gets out. His black t-shirt tied around his pecs is a delight for me, my reading wearing eyes. I smile as he walks towards me. Savannah, you're a sight for sore eyes. I was just thinking the same about you, I say. You know you're special to me. Always will be, he says. I want to wrap my arms around him, hop in his vehicle, and ride off in the sunset. Logan inspects his boots. Carrie's coming back. It was weird. Just called last night out of the blue. If a meteor had just smashed on the library and shook the planet to its core, I couldn't feel more unsettled. Even though I turned him... Wow, these chapters were long tonight, weren't they? Even though I turned him down last night, he was still a possible future partner. He seemed to care about me, even though we weren't involved. Oh, I say, resting against the bumper. We're starting fresh, going to counseling, Logan says, leaning toward me and smoothing the bangs out of my eyes. Alex and I started fresh once, twice, a million times, but I can't tell Logan that and dash his hopes. He has his own decisions to make, his own truth to live. Logan wedges his hand into his wranglers. I want to thank you for what you said last night. You're right. I would have felt horrible if I'd messed around on her. I feel like all my blood just ran into the storm drain. He's standing by. I have to get out of here. Logan, I wish you much happiness. Listen, I don't mean to be rude, but I've got to get home. I choke out a chuckle and duck into my car. As I pull off, I see him in the rear view, just standing there with his hand in his pocket, like he doesn't know what to do. Well, I don't know either, but I'm not standing still. I know that. I'm going to keep moving, even if I'm moving toward a mistake. At least, I'm going to make a different. I'm going to make different choices and different mistakes. I thought there'd be a possibility of a future with Logan, even if I ever left Alex, and that was reassuring somehow. Now I know what Jen meant when she said I can't depend on anyone else to make me happy. I have to find activities I enjoy and immerse myself in them like I did today. Just me and my laptop. I think I could give up everything for the high I felt writing today. Words pounding from my heart into the keyboard, each stroke contributing to my, my, to my survival. The world written scene. Maybe someday, if I can complete a book about all this, I can actually make the world a better place. Make the skeptics wonder if maybe there's something to this spirit thing, and just maybe heal myself in the process. Before heading home, I stop by Dad's to pick up Isaac. Dad's on the front porch swing when I pull in, and Isaac says, he says, is asleep on the couch. Dad backpedals, slowing the swing, and I hop on beside him. Dad, I say, raising my feet and letting him do the pushing. Alex and I, well, he's hard to live with. I don't know how much longer I'm going to stay with him. He sets his jaw and looks toward the pond where the geese are floating about. I know I haven't ever mentioned having marriage troubles and how bad things really are at home, I say, catching a whiff of lilac. I don't want you to worry. I love Alex, and it sounds crazy, but I know he loves me too. It's just we don't get, we don't get each other anymore. Savannah, 
I've seen the way he treats you. Luce and I talked, I've talked about it several times, but we just thought you were okay with it. We didn't want to meddle. The geese are flying and diving into the pond, and I feel my day fly my day to fly is coming too. I'm not sure what I'm doing or where I'm going. Isaac told me what happened today. The poor boy is tore up an emotional mess. Dad slides a toothpick from his pocket and bites down on it. You'd think Alex could see what he's doing to these boys. Hell, you'd better be off with a you'd be better off without him. And so would the boys. Today's behavior is the example is the example he's setting. I've always made excuses for his cruelness, I say. Blamed his mother because she always yelled at him. Blamed his stressful job. Let me stop you right there, Dad says, holding up his hand. I was a cop for 38 years and didn't speak to my family the way he speaks to you and the boys. The lulling motion of my toes touching the ground as the swing sway soothes me. True, and I'm done making excuses for him. No one knows what I've dealt with. Kept it to myself for 14 years. Thought I was just not a good enough wife. Not good enough mother, but the screen door bangs shut and the sleepy-eyed Isaac scrambles out. Dad pats my leg. Isaac, you got a good mom here. She's not going to. She's going to make sure the kind of stuff your daddy pulled today won't be happening anymore. I know, but I know my father's mad. He rarely cusses in front of the boys. We pile into the car. Isaac snaps on his seatbelt without a word. If I were Isaac. I'd want my mom to, to do. I'd want my mom to do whatever she can to make my dad stop screaming too. I'm as responsible for the atmosphere in our house as Alex is. I'm his accomplice. I permitted the treatment, not liked it or understood it, but allowed it to continue. After a silent car ride home, I smuggle Alex through the study and into his room, avoiding Alex, who's coaching the reds from the couch. I tuck both boys in with kisses, filling their memory in my mind under special. I stare intently into their innocent eyes that are peeking over the quilts I've tucked under their chins. Eyes that soon may be shedding a few tears if I have to tell them Alex and I are splitting up. I stare at them, forcing myself to remember the details I'm afraid to forget. When they were babies, I imagined Alex and I tucking them in and whisking off for a glass of wine in private time. Maybe an impromptu dance in the living room with a stroll in the moonlight, even a shared sitcom cuddled tight on the couch. But those moments have been rare, and the boys aren't babies anymore. I want the boys to see a happy mom, a mom who's caring, confident, and compassionate. Before today, I was in a midsummer's night slumber, seeing what I wanted to see, a prince. But now that the mask is off, I realize I married an ordinary man playing the role of a fool. Locking myself in my bedroom, I pull the abuse book out of the laptop bag and lock the bedroom door, figuring I'll read one chapter. Three chapters and I'm hooked. The author could have been me. I feel like chuckling, like, like chucking up the sandwich I just ate. I am being abused, but my pain comes with no bruises or broken bones. Maybe that's why I thought it wasn't abuse. But that is, that's exactly what's been going on all these years. I'm a victim of verbal abuse. Me, the independent, outspoken teacher who takes charge of a classroom and spunky teenagers with no problem. Me, the wife of a respected police officer who puts people behind bars for battery and domestic violence. Me, whose husband has promised to protect the citizens of Wooten County, but who first promised to love and cherish me. I can't believe I didn't see the truth of it all these years. Alex was right. I'm stupid. I force myself up, unlock the door, and slide the book under a pair of jeans in my closet, then climb into bed and watch the mini-light display that hypnotizes me nightly since the night I prayed to see them like Isaac. I thank my angels for leading me to the book that's given me more insight into my life than any other book ever has. 
I petitioned Grandma Lenny to bend the big guy's ear so she's close enough to whisper into it. I can picture her telling the omnipotent, my savvy sure needs help down there. Now you surely can spare a few more angels for her, can't you? Maybe give her some more bread. Crumbles to follow. On my way to the car in the morning, I hear the clinking of wind chimes. I haven't heard them this early in the morning. Gazing up at the sky, I imagine Grandma rooting for me, using the clouds for, for pom-poms. Changes are blowing like the clouds and wind, spiraling through the sky, not knowing where they will end up, like me. The first part of the school day is eaten up with another end of the year assembly, so I take advantage of the empty classroom and read the final chapter of the abuse book. The appendix provides a contact that the author recommends that both the victim and the abuser sign. I type the contact, contract, I'm sorry, not contact, contract, and progress to the section that requires me to list hurtful comments that my spouse says to me. By the time I'm done, there are over 60, and that's just the ones I can remember. My cell rings. It's Jen checking on me. I tell her I need an earlier appointment. I take the first slot available, which is Wednesday at 2. After school, I'm on the couch when Alex walks in the side door with his cell to his ear. Just call me if she comes too, Alex says. Gilmer's interviewing the boy now. Keep the hospital covered. Alex snaps off his tie and places his gun in the fridge, on the fridge. I smooth my hand over the contract that I need to present to Alex. He has work on his mind, and my proposal will have to wait. Hi, glad you're home, I say. Who's in the hospital? Stephen Hopper's mom. Okay. Heck of a day. Oh, Lord. You know who did it? Okay, Alex describes the case to her. Okay, and okay, so he's in for questioning. I hear the dryer door shut. Alex is probably scavenging for clean clothes he can throw on. He yells into the playroom, you boys are going to turn into a TV, you know. His comment makes me wonder, if Alex's example for TV watching has shaped their TV habit, how more so will his behavior toward me affect the way they treat women in their lives? Alex returns wearing red shorts and an incredible Hulk t-shirt with paint stains, his black dress socks still stuck to his legs. I choke back a giggle. Who found Stephen's mom? Alex pops a tab off a can of sweet tea and takes a swig. A friend of hers found her at the house. Okay. And then they're talking about the murder case. I flip off the TV and tell Alex I need to talk to him. I position my chair at the table to face where he's standing behind the bar. This is the moment I postponed for what seems like an eternity, the one that will determine the rest of my life. I know the outcome depends on me not letting fear de deter me. If Alex is flipping about my wishes, then our marriage is over because the conversation, before the conversation even begins, I refuse to be a victim any longer. Alex, I say, I've read a book and... Now there's a surprise, Alex says, rolling his eyes. I close my eyes and flatten my hand on the table. Look, I say, folks, books seem to get on the man behind the bar. I need you to listen to me. This is serious and you can't interrupt me. Alex nods as if a crown is being placed on his head. The book, I say, was about men who don't realize they're saying things to their spouse. Things that are hurtful and are damaging to the relationship. Alex's mouth is snarled, but he's not talking over me. I think our relationship will improve if we agree to speak respectfully to each other. I made a list of statements you say that hurt me. I want you to read them and sign the agreement if you will stop saying them. Alex's face is expressionless. I can usually read him, but right now I'm clueless. I rub the, pap I rub the papers in front of me. We can add anything that you want me to stop saying to you. Okay, he says. If that's all you wanted, I thought you were going to say you were leaving me. 
Here, I say, standing and handing him two copies of the contract. Alex reads a bit and laughs. You want me to stop saying you're so slow? Yes. And you never cook? Yes. Do you have anything to add, I ask? Nope. But you might as well cut out my tongue. Alex grins and scissors his fingers. What if I can't do this? Then I won't be here anymore, I say without hesitation. I feel like I'm watching my life unfold on the big screen. His head pops up, from, pops up from the paper. What do you mean you won't be here? Where will you go? I instantly want to defend myself. He said that like I can't possibly live without him. Like no one else would leave me. Feeling for the chair, I sit down. My legs are, are, are trembling. I can't let Alex scare me into staying with him. I can't be anywhere I want to be. I just want him to understand that if I stay, he will have to change how he talks to me. I don't know what I say. I just know I won't be here anymore. This contract is my last resort to make our marriage work. Alex's eyes are big. He's looking at me like a child does a parent when he's told he can absolutely not take one last ride on the roller coaster. You think someone out there is going to love you better than me, he says? You're going to be disappointed. He's not going to skew in my message. I'm sticking to my script. I'm talking about you and me. It has nothing to do with anybody else. If you can't stop saying these statements, I won't be here. I won't be here because I'm not going to continue to live like this. Not because I'm looking for Prince Charming. Sure. You know you know where you're going, or you wouldn't be saying what you, that you're going to leave. So where is it, and who is it? Alex puckers his mouth and clicks the pen against his chin. Your bridge jumper boyfriend? No. I saw where he's getting married to the, to the chick from the hospital. So who? My heart feels like it's being twisted around a curling iron. Ryan's engaged? I remind myself that my decision to set boundaries with Alex has nothing to do with Ryan or any other man. I feel vulnerable, knowing my future is unknown, and I may be facing it totally alone. But I'm not letting Alex see the fear that's paralyzed the blood in my veins. Alex thinks, thinks I have an intricate plan, and he's not going to believe that I don't. But I'm speaking my truth anyway. I look him dead in the eyes. Alex, I have no plans. I do want this contract to work. So it's up to... Yeah, yeah. He says, signing and laughing. I signed to Sergeant Templeton. It's okay, I say, adding my signature beside Sergeant Alex Templeton's and hoping we aren't soon signing divorce decree. I tuck my copy under my arm with the hope that this piece of paper is inspiring to Alex as the book that suggested, you know, that suggested it has been to me. I yank open the basement door and announce to the boys, dinner's ready, come and eat. I hand a bowl of chili to the boys and carry mine to the table or Alex is cracking saltines over his. Isaac wants to know where the peanut butter sandwiches are. I didn't make them, I say, swirling the spoon in my mouth. Hang on. Okay, you're old enough to make a sandwich. I like speaking my truth. His cell rings and Alex pushes the chair away from the table. You're kidding. This could break the case wide open. Ben tells Isaac, you have to put peanut butter on both sides of the bread. It tastes better. And Mom puts honey out, too. Still jabbering on the phone, Alex storms to the basement. Dad gotta go, Alex says, Isaac says. Probably. A few minutes later, Alex, dressed in BDUs, steps into the kitchen and laces his boots. Okay, talk about the, the murder case. And, okay. At 4 a.m., I slip on my robe and squeak down the stairs in the living room where Alex is staring at an infomercial about Chamois Wow. His eyes are bloodshot, and a granola bar sits atop his bare belly. 
He shoots me an angry look. He's exhausted. I sit opposite him on the couch and wait for him to say something. Uh, he's talking about the case. You're welcome, I say. Alex crunches up his nose. For, for suggestions, for suggesting it was Stephen who wrote the, that letter. The corner of his mouth curls down. Sure, Sav. Guess you got to be right sometimes. How'd Stephen know that Parker did it? So he explains to her how Parker did it, and uh, he murdered that Hank guy. I sink my hands into the pockets of my robe. Where was Stephen? Upstairs, listening over the hallway banister, he hears the front door slam and voices outside, so he watches out his bedroom window. Okay, he sees Parker gripping Hank with one hand. Okay. Alex slumps a drink of milk. Here's the catch. And he's telling him more about the case. I scoot over my legs dangling on either side of his shoulders. Okay, more about the case. More case. Let's see. You're so coordinated, Alex says, from halfway up the stairs. I hobbled up the steps saying, guess we need to add that to your list of band comments. In the bedroom, I slander... Slather lavender on my sore toes. You could have left the light on, you know. So did Stephen admit in the letter? Okay. The headboard creaks as Alex leans back against the pillow. Yes, Savannah, you were right. He wanted Parker to go to jail to get away from his mom, but he didn't want Zoe in trouble for buying the drugs. Okay. He was too scared of Parker. Okay. You're so coordinated, Alex says from halfway up. Okay, we got this again. Come on, don't do that stuff. The headboard creaks. Okay. All right. More about the case. Okay, the notes that she loved her mom. Oh, Diane, the little girl that was killed. She loved her mom, but wasn't going to let guys pass, let guys harass her anymore. Okay. I looked at Alex, towards Alex's face, barely visible, except the strand of moonlight streaking across his cheek. You think they literally. Yeah, okay. Probably. If you'd seen half the things I see every day, it'd make you wonder where all the good people in the world went. Okay, sick people, I say, catching a whiff of lingering musk on Alex's shaved chest. If I saw the wickedness in people firsthand, like he does, maybe I would I, I would hold a shield as impenetrable as the one he has, one that keeps even loved ones from getting close. Diane mentioned your name. She said she was sorry she disappointed you by taking the easy way out. Okay, Alex says, I don't understand how people can be so weak-minded. I'm not telling him I've had a few weak-minded moments myself. I'm not going to attempt to explain that. I relate to Diana's wanting to escape her life. With Alex caressing my shoulder like he's brushing off the... Okay. I catch his feeling of ease and fall asleep in the arms of my husband that tonight feel is a little less like steel and more like a down duvet. 15 minutes early to school for me seems like 50. I'm never, I'm never early. Okay, if, I have, if this thing doesn't wrap up in a page, I'm going to stop at two hours already. I find Joanne pouring grounds into the coffee pot in the teacher's lounge, her curly hair looking especially silver. I'm sure she's shining too. Getting geared up for a long last day, she's holding her empty cup like it's her lifeline. A creamy piece of peanut butter fudge is melting in her mouth, melting in my mouth from the tray by the Mr. Coffee before I even know I picked it up. With the sweets from holidays, birthdays, and teacher appreciation week, it's a miracle any of us can waddle through the hallways without doing the bump with the lockers on either side. I feel Joanne in on the note Diane left, and she tells me that she just found out about the note yesterday from Children's Protective Services. Mr. Feldman opens the door for Mrs. Z, who saunters in. Yes, her mom was at the store the other day. 
Uh, just a boo-hooing with the poor girl. This is the end, guys, because this is two hours. Heaven, she was the reason Zoe wanted to go. Okay, Mrs. Z grabs a donut and takes a bite so big that only half of it's left in her hand. Isn't that right, Savannah? Jo Joanne winks at me, and I nod back to Mrs. Z, knowing she, that, what, that, that she knows darn right. Okay, well, that's it. It's two hours in. That's it. I didn't think this was going to go two hours tonight, but this one chapter is long, long. I mean long. So thank you, everybody, for cutting. See, let me get over here. I'm tired. <laughs> it went way too long tonight. I uh, didn't think this chapter was going to be that long. I apologize, or this last chapter. So two hours is killer. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. Tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific, we're going to have, uh, well, I hope to have Stephen Kane. I haven't got a confirmation from him yet, but Professor Stephen Kane to talk about exoplanets and some of the other stuff in our solar system. So he should be here at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Like I said, I'm not convinced yet. You might get the best of. I don't know yet. You know, if something goes wrong, so uh, we'll have to see what happens. Because I have not got, I've got confirmation from everybody next week except him. So we'll see. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming. And I'm going to cut this off because I'm tired. So I'll see you all tomorrow. Sorry for the things that went wrong and getting banned off TikTok didn't, give me a, didn't throw me tonight. And the camera, but the camera bouncing off like it did didn't make me very happy. But uh, thank you all for being here tonight, and I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Uh, have a good night.